I completely forgot to say it. Normally I say, I'm Graham McMillan, and this is my uh, podcast. Graham, did you, you, you sort of, yeah, yeah, what, Graham? Hello? Can you not hear me, Graham? Because I can are, hear you. Are you fucking, no, I, no, no, I can no. hear you, but I, I, for a while. You totally, are we horribly out of sync? I think we might be out of sync a little bit. Fucking hell. All right, you know what, let me call you back and we'll. Okay, we'll start over. Yeah, exactly. I'll talk to you in a sec. Hello, whatnots. Welcome to Baxter Building, episode 31. Take two, because Jeff and I just tried and things went weird. Um, I'm Griff McMillan, uh, one of your stressed now podcasters of the evening. And with me is... I'm Jeff Lester. Hello, everyone. I'm also stressed, although not quite as much, because I don't have to edit it. <laughs> oh, God, that's right. I actually forgot that. Oh, no. Uh, we are continuing to fight John Byrne uh, for ownership of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> we are reading through on this series uh, the entire first volume of Marvel's Fantastic Four from issue one all the way through issue 416. Currently, this time we're doing issues 278 through 284, which, as strange as it seems, is one long story. Is is it? Is it? It kind, it kind of is. Well, it's kind of two stories, I guess, because you have the the first two parter and then the rest of it it's the 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 subplot runs through all of it and so i consider it one long story for some reason i am bogged down by nostalgia for these issues which i i will get to in a bit uh this is the first time you've read these jeff yes i want to say i i you know it's weird because i i want to say yes but i swear um parts of issue 279 seemed really familiar to me and i guess parts of 281 i guess the appearance of malice and also so not quite it's it's mostly let's say that i had firmly graduated to to the extent that i saw these um i was either reading my buddy's copies when he had them or more likely reading them at the comic book stand and then leaving them alone. So, so. I think that's that's the healthiest attitude towards these. <laughs> Although here's the thing, because I have such nostalgia for these, I really enjoyed this. Huh. And these are these are not good comics. I think we should just say this up front. There, there's some just especially as you get towards the end of these these issues, mm-hmm. there's some cringeworthy, horrible, horrible stuff here. Um, and yet there really are bits where I'm like, oh, but this is the Fantastic Four. <laughs> no, really, genuinely. Remember when we were doing uh, Jerry Conway's run? Yes, way yes, back when? right, I exactly. That, you had that feeling as well, mm-hmm. where I was like, no, these, this is trash. And you're like, no, it's not. This is what the Fantastic Four should be, even though it's trash. Right. This, is, this is exactly the same for me. You know, what I think is interesting is, is that uh, I feel that there's some stuff here from Burn that are things that have annoyed me uh, in previous episodes definitely are the case here. And there's things here that I find generally 
baffling. Like literally cannot <laughs> figure out why he's doing it. But there's also the element of um, uh, what I call peak Marvel. Like the peak 80s Marvel happens right in the middle of these issues where all of a sudden you have stories that are not even completed in the book itself in in a way that is which is amazing isn't it really shocking and jarring and there's uh, so there's a lot going on honestly the whole thing feels to me as if burn had a much bigger super ambitious plan and everything got splintered to the point where it's not so much like he gave up but I don't know. It's very interesting. It's I'll be interested in your take on it and I'm and I'm I'm fascinated that you say that you know when you said that this was basically one long story cuz I don't see that and yet weirdly there's these weird thematic elements that almost feel as if Burn either thinks that he is or there was the skeleton of his attempt to make one long story um that that is that could have been like weirdly deeply affecting. I don't know about personal. Well, yeah. No, but I, I, I totally see where you're going with that. And I think that element of the story that sort of let's just spoil it. Cause we're going to get there eventually the Sue Stormness of it all. The Sue mm-hmm. Richards arc. I really got to start, you know, a few issues earlier mm-hmm. because although it is not presented as such, mm-hmm. this is clearly the Sue gets over losing her baby arc. Mm. it is done in a terrible way Mm -hmm. like in a genuinely i'm not sure it could actually be done more offensively to people who have actually lost a baby way Mm -hmm. but i think that's what that's what it's intended as Hmm. when i say it i think it's one long story a lot of that is because 278 ends with an event that um throws the, the status quo into uh, turmoil mm-hmm. and the turmoil is the momentum of that turmoil goes all the way through 284 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that you know you start 278 with essentially the team at rest mm-hmm. and then there is no downtime between now and the end of 284 mm. like literally this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens mm-hmm. and so even though 278 and 279 are ostensibly a plot in and of themselves, and one that's not going to even continue until like 286 or something. Mm-hmm. The fact that 278 ends with the destruction of the Baxter building, mm-hmm. there's there's no downtime after that. Like literally the team is, is, is like, well, shit. And things just continually get worse. Right. Until the very end of 284. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you also have the subplot of the, what's he called? Is it not called something hilarious like H.M. Unger or something hilarious like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hate yeah. You have that subplot running as well. And I think that actually started in the show earlier than this. But but we'll get to that really soon. Yeah. Because that, that's something I, I really, there's a, a letters page comment in 278 that I really want to talk about. Yes. And the end of 279, I really want to talk about in the strangest way. Mm-hmm. Shall we just get going? Shall we just yeah, go through I think so. Let's go or... through the issues, yeah, and, and you know me, I'm sure I'll, I won't be dissuaded from shooting my mouth off, that's for sure. 278 is called True Lies, mm-hmm. which, because I was curious, I was like, I wonder if it's named after the film. No, the film didn't come out for another nine years after this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But did you also have that where you're like, True Lies? 
no, unfortunately, I had enough of a memory to, in the sense to know that this came first. But I also did have that sense of like, was this pulled from like if the it, it's, it, are both titles pulled from something else? Exactly, some common yeah. wellspring that I wasn't tracking. So um, yeah, I I as well and couldn't see anything. Mm-hmm. But that that doesn't necessarily mean that's not true. Anyway, it opens with Doctor Doom demanding that Kristoff, who is the orphan he saved in his last appearance in his title, come with him and leave his his study because he wants to introduce him to a, a an important secret. The important secret is. There's fucking lots of Doctor Dooms because they're all robots. Mm-hmm. Because people may or may not remember, Doctor Doom is dead. People also may, may or may not remember, Doctor Doom is clearly not dead. Right. right. There was an amazing get out clause in the issue where Doctor Doom quote unquote died. Mm-hmm. Also worth remembering, as this is being published, Secret Wars is over and Secret Wars featured Dr. Doom in it. Well, but th- th- I think, didn't they ha- make it, I don't, was it Burn or Shooter it, made it a point yeah, to they, say that that was an earlier Dr. Doom? They didn't explain anything yet. Mm-hmm. This will be explained in like five issues time after we finish this this run. Oh, okay. But as, as the reader knows right now, no one quite knows what was going on with Dr. Doom there. Mm-hmm. Because Dr. Doom in Secret Wars is essentially a mistake. Mm-hmm. That Burn has not explained and Shooter didn't address at all. Mm-hmm. So Doctor Doom is for readers of Fantastic Four dead, obviously not dead, and also by the way, there's another Doctor Doom who's been seen since, and no one knows why. All the Doctor Doom robots say, "Hey, Christoph, we know you're a small kid, but he wants you to run the country, and to make things easier, we're going to strap you into a big machine. Don't worry, everything's fine. Nothing weird is happening at all. Yeah, it's called the Remember Hanser." <laughs> that doesn't seem weird whatsoever. Just keep going. And this ends up being a framing sequence for the origin of Doctor Doom. Yes. Which which gets retold with significant differences mm-hmm. this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, significant difference includes the fact that you see Doctor Doom's face after his accident in school, and he literally only has one cut in his face. Yes. I mean, it's a fairly dramatic scar, but it's one scar. Mm-hmm. And his response is, no, no, I'm ugly, ugly. What have I done to myself? What have I done? My face is too horrible. No other eyes must gaze upon it about ever. Which, you know, really underscores the fan theory that Doom is so vain. Right. That basically he was fine, but, but he, he couldn't deal with any imperfection. He then follows that up with the forging of his mask, which is put on his face while still hot, which does scar his face to shit. Yes. So he really is going all out for the the fan theories that are into the time and making them canon. Well, as I recall, I want to say that the the at least the idea that Doom only has a small scar was an idea that was espoused by Jack Kirby in interviews. But it was never canon. No, it was never canon. But I'm just saying, like when you there's fan theories, and then there's when Jack Kirby says something. That's, so, that's true. so I I just think that that's because at first I was like, because uh, again, you know, as you as you no doubt uh, clocked, there's um, bits in um, Burns Origin where he's where Byrne, once again, is basically drawing right over the Kirby panels, which is which can be great or annoying, depending on, on what you think, you know. Um, I was particularly thinking of the scenes where Doom's father is carrying him shirtless in the snow, and, you know, 
at least one or two panels of that is are pretty much going directly from Kirby. And I don't I don't necessarily know if that's important or not cuz I feel like there is there's I just feel like there's weird stuff going on in these issues that I can't really wrap my brain around. You know what I mean? Um well, it's, I mean, the retelling of the origin is simultaneously slavishly close to what's there and also rewriting it really slightly. Exactly, which is very which is very burn on, on exactly. this, Exactly, but you know, you have Reed Richards say to Doom when they're in college, you know, you, you, your figures are off. Your equations might be a couple of, off a couple of decimals, mm-hmm. but also saying you're experimenting with trans-dimensional warps. Yeah. You know, and, and so... And also, he's experimenting with transdimensional warps, and then he's apparently building a chair where his head goes in. <laughs> like, what's our transdimensional warp? Is he, is he actually experimenting with it, it? Anyway, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. You get anyway a, a recounting of Doctor Doom's origin. Yeah. While the, while the Doctor Doom robots are essentially like, oh. Uh, well, are basically saying point, remember right? in every panel, like in a way that just became kind of weirdly annoying, I suppose. Like there's yeah. one point I, I, where it's like the on the college page, it's like seven, pan, six panels on the page and four of them have remember. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, like Christoph really must be like trying to check his phone or something at that point. Because they're like, no, no, remember. Well, remember? If, if you want to page, uh, page nine on the GIT core scans. Mm-hmm. Every single panel says remember. Oh, you're right. Yeah, see? Every single panel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, which is which is kind of amazing. Yeah, lot, lots of remembers. The remembers are interrupted by Dr. Doom shouting, stop! I have no need for further memories. Even though the robots are noticeably saying, oh, but the tapes aren't done. Yeah, yeah. Why, how is Doom back? What is going on? What? <laughs> while that is going on, or actually not while it's going on, because the next page says three weeks later, That's and right. nearly 3,000 miles to the west, you see Alicia and Johnny Storm on a date. And it is interrupted by uh, someone who is posting. See, I I don't want to say the word. Right. N-word lover. Yeah. But it doesn't say N-word in the comic, you guys. Signs over an advertisement for a racial equality meeting. And he is confronted by Johnny, who is appropriately appalled, only to discover that it's a small kid. A small kid who is... A big uh, Johnny Storm Human Torch fan. Yeah. and, And is amazingly enthusiastic and reading this shit today seeing this kid say mr unger is a native born american a good white american who believes in a strong free and white america is creepy yeah yeah i mean i mean i i I know it's meant to be creepy mm -hmm. but it's creepy in a way that i didn't feel like it was creepy back then uh i i might be you know i read this when it came out and it came out in 85 so i was like 10 years old right so i i legitimately did not know better yeah no i mean but but i mean this stuff is creepy well it is creepy and and it's and it's super effective to read it now it is one of the things that's kind of a little bit of a heartbreaker because i think that uh uh, I mean, you know, you you actually have a Marvel comic where the N word is being used uh, on on the page, which I assume is ties into what you're going to mention on the letters page, where yes. they're basically like, oh, ho, 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 look, you you know, we're trying to tell a serious story, and it's important here. 
in, yeah, in, but but they also say we don't want to offend anyone. Yeah, yeah. So Marvel, really? Yeah. Well, because no, because I I mean it's it's I well, don't know. I like contemporaneous to this, uh, literally contemporaneous to this, because I think it's a tie-in with this. Pardon me, with the second issue of Secret Wars two. Oh yeah, X Men comic. Mm-hmm. Um, Kitty Pride just launches through like every racial epithet. Yeah, see, and that's a lot more problematic for me then and now. Like here, it's very much a. Um, well, here, here is very much pre- presented as like this is bad. Yeah, exactly. Well, whereas Kitty, I mean, Kitty is in that X Men comic is also quote unquote bad. You know, like she she's purposely doing it to shock and to show how wrong it is to use the racial epithets to, but you, the to time, use like, the shows... epithet mutie i mean that's the thing that's problematic yeah, it's the one that i remember yeah, I... is that yes. classic like oh exactly. you're okay with the term mutie how would you feel if i called you and it's just like and, and that's literally a list yeah right exactly and you're just like no no this is horrible i mean and and it is one of those weird areas where of the two approaches, I have to say that I approve of Burns a bit more because it is, it's really shocking. And it's, uh, Johnny Storm is absolutely repelled and horrified by it. You know, it's not like he's like, this is great. I mean, admittedly, we have some other approaches in the next issue with with Burns' take on, on racial hatred, but... You know, and of course, it, it's also rough that Johnny Storm has a haircut that makes him look like the Three Stooges version of a Hitler youth. So it's really well, hard. Mean, to... Yeah, it's this is well, this was Johnny's eighty look, Jeff. He he had the he had the alt right look. Oh, God. Down, like, but he did. Yeah, no, no, he you did. Know, it's, it's it's like it's a weird moment of synchronicity. Well, except he need, he needed to shave the sides a little more fully. Instead, That's true. He keeps That's that, true. He, he just put it up. up. Yeah. yeah, we we you know if there's one thing the alt right figured out how to do, it's how to look a little less like Mo Howard. So, um, you know, <laughs> that more. was big in the eighties. <laughs> John Here, Guy Gardner, actually, and uh, Ruben Flag, kind of. You know, I actually was wondering if American Flag was uh, was kind of an inspiration for for Johnny's like trench coat with the collar up you know um asymmetrical haircut thing going on here i would not be surprised yeah yeah Yeah, exactly Mm -hmm. anyway johnny uh, it genuinely is appalled by this kid and basically tells the kids fuck off just just get out of here stop this and burns all the signs Mm -hmm. he actually says uh Nothing to worry about, Alicia. It's just one of those things that makes me wonder why the FS spends all its time trying to save mankind when the world might be better off if we just let the whole crummy mess of them blow themselves to atoms. It just makes me burn. Nice pun, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they walk away, you see a shadowy figure in the background who, for anyone who's read Fantastic Four for any length of time, or for that matter, Micronauts, where this character has also popped up, you're like, oh, okay, I know exactly who that is because it's a very distinctive silhouette. Uh, but he's basically in the background going, ha, 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 just you wait, you guys. Okay, oh. Graham, but I want to ask you something here. Yes. Uh, I, at the risk of – can I just sort of jump ahead and mention who the villain is? Because like you sure. said – So it, it is Psycho Man, of course. But what I find fascinating is the lurking in the shadows, which is not a psycho piratey type thing. And the way that Byrne does it with the accent on the eyes, silhouette, and armor. 
And the idea that H.M. Unger ends up essentially being his pawn uh, in a very um, uh, glorious Godfrey sort of way or Grammy, Granny Goodness sort of way is Burns playing with the dark side silhouette here of Psycho. Oh, I see. I, I did not see that at all. Interestingly enough, maybe because I knew it was Psycho Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I. But yeah, I, I like. It's interesting. I did not see that whatsoever. But looking at uh, like I, page I, fifteen I, of the scan, the GIT scan for me, anyway, I'm like, still. I, 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 I think that's. I think it's very true. It's very. I think it's the Nets issue that there's more scenes of him lurking in darkness. Burton basically keeps Psycho Man in darkness, uh, until midway through this arc. Mm-hmm. And it becomes very obvious, maybe as soon as the next issue, that it is Psycho Man. Yeah. Because, very, like, he shows the obvious. color scheme and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're like, wait, who is a green armor like that? Right. Oh, okay, then. Yeah. You know, and he might even show him with the, the tablet mm-hmm. at one point while he's still in silhouette. And you're like, come on. Yeah. Really? But anyway, that, that figure, who is Psycho Man, is lurking in the background going, just you wait. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... Reed and Sue are checking on Franklin and checking if Franklin still has those superpowers because he really shouldn't. And yet in the last issue, he did some crazy stuff that kind of pissed with Mephisto and that really shouldn't be happening. Sue is saying that she's a bit concerned. Sue is a bit concerned with everything that is going on lately. Right. Uh, whereas Reed does his traditional, oh, Sue, science will be fine. What? Everything. Hush your female mouth. <laughs> As that is happening, She-Hulk and White Wingfoot come back from a date. This might be the first time they've admitted they're dating in the comic. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong about that, but I think it's the first time that you've seen that they're actually dating. Yeah. As they are dating... As they're dating, as they're going upstairs in the elevator, the doorman is interrupted by something being thrown through the doors of the Baxter building. It seems like a brick. The doorman runs out to see who threw it. And as he does so, the Baxter building only fucking takes off and flies into the sky. Yeah. Johnny sees happening, flames on, follows it. It goes into space. He's, he flames off. There's no oxygen in space, so he can't burn, and is luckily rescued by Mr. Fantastic. While they're all in space going, why are we in space? We're in a building. This is strange. <laughs> Doctor Doom comes on their view screen and is like, you guys, it's me. I'm back, and I'm going to try and blow the Baxter building up again. Remember I tried to do this back in issue 5? This time, it's totally going to work. And guess what? It does. The issue ends with the Baxter building exploding in orbit around the Earth. Yeah. To be continued? Ellipses, triple question mark? <laughs> Here's the thing, Jeff. This is a terrible comic and I really like it. I don't necessarily think it's that bad. I mean... It uh... feels like lots of um, lots of filler scenes. Yeah, but that's kind of John Byrne's deal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's getting to the point where, at least for me, maybe I just acclimated into the lukewarm bathwater that is Byrne's storytelling. But I'm like, you know, just the fact where Kristoff is brought into a room full of Doom robots, which, again, is a potentially great visual. Like, if you think about it, that is just like Byrne could not give a crap. But he's got to make sure that he explains 
explains how the robots work so that, you know, no one's ever grokked, tumbled to the fact that they are actually robots. And then, you know, you launch into uh, Doom's origin, which goes, it goes on long. Like, it's that weird, like, by the time the issue, the, basically, what would have been the end of chapter one of a Lee Kirby four-part you know, four chapter issue uh, is the end of the issue. I'm like, okay, but I'm still kind of like entertained. Yes. I, yeah. Somewhere in there, somewhere in there, at least a little bit, like it could, it could be that um, again, when I said like, I feel like I might've seen some of these, I remember digging the issue where she Hulk and Wyatt Wingfoot kiss in the elevator. Cause of course she picks him up to kiss him. Which, since she's so much taller, and it's just, it's just fun. Jerry Ordway does some great stuff in here. So, so that the one-page scene of Doctor Doom basically yelling at his squinty-eyed Submariner. Submariner looks fucking great in that, you know. And Ordway does amazing stuff with the inks here. Yeah, he really genuinely does. And we talked about this last episode, Mm -hmm. but Ordway's inks. Makes this book look so much better. Yeah, yeah, I think so because it just really uh, gives 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 the book a, a a really nice look. The actors are are acting in most of it, um, but there's also just I don't know, you know, the scene where Doom is looking at himself in the mirror, and you see that scar. It's like, oh, thank God that, you know, Ordway's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm really going to draw the shit out of Dr. Exactly, exactly. disheveled hair, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I'm actually, because you know that Byrne wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Byrne, Byrne is a great, uh, this year at least, Byrne is a great action artist. I genuinely think he is. I think he's a very good superhero artist. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't sweat the small stuff at all. Mm-hmm. And Ordway does. Right. So you have a really, when they, they pair like this, it's a really good combination. Yeah. Because you get the dynamism of Burn, mm-hmm. but you get the anal quality of Ordway. Yeah. And it just works. It yeah. works really well. It works better than either of them separately. Yeah, I I, I, I definitely agree with that. So so I, I get the I totally get what you're saying in the sense of I think, you know, if I had bought this book back on the comic rack way back when, I think I would have been bothered because as as an issue of of itself in and of itself there's not much there there you know it's very much a piece um but you know for me it's very much like a prologue yeah exactly it it, so i'm like but reading it in the context that we did we have or we are and knowing that the next issue is just literally a a little a file away it's 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 okay for me you know and uh, so there's there's little touches honestly there is um for what I, it's funny because i you know you're like jeff i have to warn you these are crap comics but i'm going to be nostalgic and i'm sort of like i'm at a state where I, I really feel that i'm for whatever reason willing to to cut burn some slack in part because because of the things that i enjoy uh and because Again, I think there's a lot of it to the idea that Ordway really helps 
make things aesthetically enjoyable in and of themselves. So like you said, there's a good combination. But, you know, to move into to uh, issue 279... What? Well, yeah. before we do that, you I do just want, want to read talk the about letters, the letters column notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, the letters column notes in 278 says, before we begin, okay, it's time to wrap. Thanks, Michael Carlin. Yes. You've probably already noticed there is some fairly controversial subject matter being examined in the current Fantastic Four storyline. This issue and our next issue deal directly with some very real, very contemporary themes. We hope all of you understand that it is not our intention to offend anyone. We are merely striving to tell the best stories possible. And it is still it's still a case of our heroes fighting against evil as it manifests itself in the world today. If our creators have a statement to make and a good story to tell, and the editors agree that it is a valid statement and one that truly deserves to be heard, then we're willing to take a chance like this. We feel strongly about the story and innovation isn't and isn't innovation what you've come to expect to demand from the world's greatest comic magazine, we won't let you down. Yeah. Here's the thing. <laughs> On the one hand, I am glad that they basically say, we know that you might be offended by this, but we know what we're doing, mm-hmm. and please just go with it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I don't really know what the valid statement they think they're telling is, because the story as it unfolds is... All this hatred is whipped up by a guy with a machine that he can press buttons and make people hate each other. Right. And I think if this, if there was, and also not only that, this story won't finish in this comic. Yes. Yeah. This story finishes in fucking Secret Wars too. Yeah. Yeah. So if this, if they were living up to their own hype, this story would have to end with, sure, Psycho Man is fucking with people's minds. But this shit is inside everyone anyway, and you have to fight up, fight against it. And also, you have that scene in the fucking Fantastic Four series. Mm-hmm. Then that would be worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Doing what they actually do makes what Mike Carlin's defense of using the language they're using in this storyline bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's pretty hard not to believe to think that Carlin knows that it's bullshit while he's doing it. It's because, you know, some of this stuff is coming out, you know, they've got an idea of where their schedule's going, more or less. But even if it wrapped up in the FF, uh, it's it's barely more than... It's just, it's it's almost like the, the issue with with Johnny Storm dealing with like the kid who sets himself on fire, you know, there's kind that's, of a that's very soon. Yeah, right. Exactly. Which I'm like, Oh shit, I bet that hasn't happened yet. It, which, you know, which is to say like, it's sort of tied. Yes. You can tell that John Byrne is looking at the real world and believes that comics should reflect the real world, but he also doesn't, I think have any interest in having the comics reflect the world in a real way. I mean, it would be totally awesome if it turned out that there was the psycho man and the hate monger take it as an explanation for what's going on in America today, but there's not, you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. And that's, that's the thing. Cause what they're really doing is they are being controversial for sensation's sake. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're not actually addressing it, and that that's what makes that comment complete bullshit. Well, yeah, it makes the comment complete bullshit, but I'm not necessarily sure if... You know, what I think is really interesting is, is there's, a, there's a lot of controversy, which is a mild way to put it, going on uh, with a storyline happening w in Marvel these days where a certain superhero has uh, basically gone fascist. Uh, and people are like, this is not cool to do with Captain America and Secret Empire. What oh, I thought you were talking about Squirrel Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was being a little too cagey there. That's why I had to clear it up. But as we see what ends up developing through this storyline is it starts off about being about racial hatred. You have Sue Storm become Malice, uh, which I guess is spoilers, although I think it's the world's worst kept secret of all time. And and what is interesting is, is Burn, at that point, the storyline really bifurcates. You have Sue's hatred uh, as, as, as a retooled Malice sort of Dark Phoenix character um, that has nothing to do with the 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 racial hatred stuff really ends up becoming a really gross little tease you know exactly that's that's the problem yeah. like the, the story burn wants to tell mm -hmm. isn't about the racial hatred yeah it's about luke sue storm is now wearing bondage gear and she's gone dark phoenix well, uh, but I do think there's some fascinating stuff going on. L let's let's get to it. You know, it's so great. It's like, so anyway, Crack of Doom, the issue that we just finished talking about <laughs> by never discussing at all, is, is basically no, the no, wrap-up. Yeah, yeah let, let's, let's do 278. You still want to go to 278? Uh, let's oh, do okay, 278. Okay. Crack of Doom. Crack of Doom. Crack uh, of Doom, which has chapter titles. Though Heavens Fall, Chapter 1, Chapter 2, Father to the Man. It's great that there's only two fucking chapters for whatever reason. I'm just like, why? He ran out. He Because really, the last uh, two pages should be a third chapter. Yeah. Or, or have an epilogue heading or something. Exactly. And he doesn't even care to do that. Like, it was kind of this thing of he's like, uh, which again is this sort of like, does, does Burn have his eye on the prize? So uh, people are, might be very excited. You know, the thing that's terrible, Graham, is, is we will, I will say this about John Byrne or Mike Carlin or both. They are better marketing people than we are because we should have started this episode saying, welcome everyone to the end of the Baxter building. You know? Oh, see. And Same way they're like, it. it's the end of the invisible girl. Exactly. Yeah. That's true. The Baxter building it does actually get seen for the final time in 279. Yeah. Because you see it explode again in a double page spread that is playing for time, seeing that you saw it blow up last time, and is entirely indicative of the, this issue, which is staggeringly devoid of interest. I bought this issue. This was the first issue of Fantastic Four I ever actually bought. Really? Wow. Yeah, this this one, and it's somehow Fantastic Four is still a favorite, because this issue is <laughs> what people. I'm not lying when I say that it takes ten pages for the Fantastic Four to return to Earth, and through those ten pages, all that actually happens is reads and the rest of FF wake up and go, Sue, good job putting us in an invisible bubble so we've all got air. Why don't you let some air come out? Yes, now we'll go back down to Earth. And that takes 10 pages. You know what? Okay, Graham. On the one hand, 
technically, I can't even believe I'm on the other side of the argument, but out of all the various pseudo, not pseudo, like adult, super dull science stuff that we have to put up from John Byrne, I actually thought the, their whole like Reed's figured out how they're going to re-enter the atmosphere was kind of cool. Like I kind of believe it. I mean, honestly, the hardest thing I have trouble believing is, is like, why the fuck can he like turn himself into the shape of a missile and then into the, the shape of a parafoil to like guide how Sue is supposed to shape her force field so that they can like re-enter um, the atmosphere, like basically as a ship so to speak. And yet every time he stops stretching, he's got his fucking arm in a sling. Like that drives me up a wall, you know, because Jeff, he's only stretching his body to do that. Not the rest of him. Isn't that? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's the weird ass solution, which doesn't make any sense. Here's my part. That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. It's in Sue's force field. Why do they need to siphon the heat off? Wouldn't uh, Sue's force field generally be okay? <laughs> like, I, since when has Sue's force field actually had any problem with any external temperature stuff? Has right. she not been, you know, dealt with fire before and been completely fine? Has she not dealt with freeze rays? Yeah, no, like, I, it's, it's true. It's, like, it's true. It seems a like little it, weird. It genuinely yeah. feels like it's, it's burned going like, you guys, I've thought through, thought through the science. They've got to get in the right shape and then they're going to get really hot. So Johnny has to take all the heat into his own body. Well, and then we're going to have to change shape again right. to guide themselves through the atmosphere. Yeah. And that this is how it would be done if the Fantastic Four was real. And I honestly, reading it today as opposed to the 10-year-old I was, 10-year-old mm -hmm. of me was like, this is so exciting. And reading it today, I was like, can't you just shut the fuck up? <laughs> if the fucking Fantastic Four, can't you just say that if, you know, Johnny flew them all down with some sort of heated air. Oh, or see, that's it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, Jack like, Kirby would not ten, have wasted this much time on it. Ages. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I get it. But I don't know. I'm sort of, part of me is like, eh. it kind of worked for me. Although, again, there's that thing of like, what's to say that Sue's thing would have, like, you know, that there would be heat from the friction? Like, does Sue's bubble like I always assumed it was frictionless for that matter? Right. Like as long as we're going there, yeah. yeah like, no, but exactly. All of a sudden, he's introducing real world physics to a completely artificial concept well, of Sue's storms. Oh, it just it irritates me. It really genuinely does. It and the fact that he does that for so long really is is a sign of Burn just being amazingly anal as opposed to going because you know the rest of it is you know. Spoilers, everyone, for the reveal. Uh, the FF end up in Latveria. They invade Castle Doom. They confront Doctor Doom. And it turns out, oh my god, it's not actually Doctor Doom. It's a brainwashed Kristoff who believes it's Doctor Doom. If Byrne is okay with Kristoff has been brainwashed by the Remember Hanser mm -hmm. to believe he's Doctor Doom, and the reason he reads did the plot from Fantastic Four issue 5 is because that's as far as his, he remembered. Mm -hmm. Then why can he not? And also, like, the FF fucking fight against living robots who yeah. can shoot laser guns. 
why does he have to spend 10 pages going, and this is how they would get back down to using real world science? Well, see, and this is it. This is one of the things that I think is a problem. Like, I'm sort of like, maybe the distance between your fond childhood memories and the actuality is, is sort of like the light bulbs kind of going off for you, Graham. But I'm like... This is exactly what I've been complaining about for the last twenty <laughs> I issues. I know, no, I totally know. But there's something about this that makes it feel so much worse for me, and I genuinely don't know why. It actually might be because I read this, you know, thirty fucking two years ago. Yeah, you know, and there, and so I'm familiar with it in a way that when I read now, I'm like, oh god. Why are we still talking about this? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And that's, I mean, whereas I feel like I've kind of acclimated. I'm like, right, Burns going to set up an interesting story and then he's just not going to give, he just can't bring himself to care to follow through on it. Like he's just short-circuiting all the inherent drama. The stuff that's in, either interesting to him or that he's obsessive about is going to drain out the drama. I mean, it's he's I'm like he's the guy who's writing and drawing the issues would it have really killed him to do another you know extension of you know the FF versus the new Doctor Doom once they get to Latveria just about anyone else would have them be able to um Basically, you know, break into Latveria, then they get separated and trapped, then Doctor Doom's got the thing over them again, then they get free for like a big final issue. But Burns like, I don't I don't care about that. I got I got this whole HM Unger thing to get back to, you know, and and again <laughs> my, also, my big HM Unger plot that I'm not gonna finish. Well yeah, exactly. Cause it uh, uh, cause again because I feel like Burn is Burn just doesn't have the patience. He's either too overworked or he's moving too quickly. Or again, Burn being the kind of over arrogant dude that he is, um, he just thinks that basically like, yeah, this is good enough. This has plenty of excitement. Oh my God. I blew up the Baxter building and the FF have to have like a complete insane nail biting return to earth. You know, so who cares if like, I mean, the scene where, where Byrne tries to, to um, sell us on how imposing the Doom robots are. Like, not, not the robots of Doctor Doom. But no, the, the, the purple troops. robots. Yeah, the purple yeah. robots. And it's great. Like, there's a point where, like, Reed actually says, good work, She-Hulk. These robots tend to depend on shock and fear as their primary weapons. And he's grabbing something that looks like a fucking Muppet. You know, I mean, it's all... They're all mup. They're bad no, no, designs. No, which do you know what? No, but you know what it looks like? Mm. It looks like a fucking Sentinel. Yeah, it does look like a Sentinel. It it's looks like uh, Kirby's design for the Sentinels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that's uh, unintentional. Yeah. How so? I, oh, I, I think he's he's trying to ape Kirby designs. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, it's fine. I feel I feel like the purple and blue shock troops have been done in other series or whatever. But I just, I'm like, ah, God, it's, 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 I mean, it's underwhelming. You've got this whole set. You spend Burns spending half the time with a prologue of, ah, it's the new Doctor Doom. He's back and he's going to be better because he's learned from his mistakes and then you just jump Remember. through. Yeah, exactly. And then you just skip to the end. And it's like, 
it really has a little bit of a I, – I would understand – again, it's one of those things where this has everything but the little letter from the editor that's like, hey, everyone – you may have noticed that uh, this story kind of came together sort of quickly and weirdly. And like if this was like a regular FF issue pre-burn, it'd be like originally this was supposed to be FF annual for, you know, 15. Yeah. But yours truly decided that it would actually be better as an issue of the regular thing. But we had to pad out the storytelling a little bit. So let's give it up for Big Johnny Byrne for retelling that origin of Doom in the first part, but, you know. But it, I mean, also this issue, OK. You, you could take, and I know this is me harping on about it again. You could take four pages out of them coming back down to Earth. You could take the three pages that retells that the Baxter Building is in space and then blows up because you saw that last issue, mm-hmm. and you would have seven pages to I don't know maybe flesh out the Doctor Doomness of it all. Yeah, exactly. But the whole deal again, and this is sort of this is this is this is burn. Also, with his Silver Age side showing, his Silver Age DC side to me showing, you know, where it feels very like something out of the first 30 issues of the Justice League, you know, where it's like at the end, they're like, aha, you didn't count on the fact that blockity block doesn't have chlorophyll in it. It has a silophyll, you know, it's it's really the classic you know, you thought that you, you know, were had taken into account the fact that Submariner wasn't with us and therefore we couldn't win. But you didn't, you know, because you were so arrogant, you didn't stick around until Sue developed her force field. And it's like, um, ah, yeah, John Byrne, you know. And yet at the same time, um, you know, there's a few things in here that I liked. I like the screaming return from the sky. It's just... The fact that they have like, and and even the whole idea that they've got the doom robots, they've got a room full of doom robots that they kill, they destroy immediately. Because Doctor Doom's like, I told them to stand down. That you would have, you know, basically none of you will stand a chance against me. And then 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 it's over in half a panel. I'm like, what exactly was your plan, Christoph Doom? Once you turned off all the robots, like just stand there and shake your fist at them, like yes. Just, just be scary. But also, what is Burton's plan? Because I'm not spoiling anything when I say that Burton actually does nothing with Christopher's doom. Well, I, I think I, I don't know. I assume that he thinks at some point that he is. He's going to come back. Yeah, he's going to come back. I think his his idea is is like I've got a pretty good dramatic vehicle for doom stories. Because I kind of get it, in a way, if your worst villain is basically a 10-year-old little kid, so you can't really hurt him. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah. I think he might have been planning to go somewhere else that eventually Engelhart gets to. Because, again, spoilers, but this also comes as no surprise because this is a 32-year-old fucking comic we're talking about. In the next, in about 10 issues time, mm-hmm. Burn brings back... The real Doctor Doom. The real Doctor Doom, yeah. And if, and again, that goes nowhere. But mm-hmm. eventually, in you know, 40 issues from now, mm-hmm. Engelhard gets to Doctor Doom versus Kristoff, thinking he's Doctor Doom. Yes, right. Which, again, makes sense. Like, I kind of feel like that is... That sort of seems like what the seeds are being planted for here. 
And it's weird. I don't think that that's a particularly interesting idea. Like, we'll see how Englehart handles it. But I feel like, in a way, sort of the same way that we saw the touches of Doctor Doom versus Zorba, you know, as Zorba goes on to become his, his own version, sort of, it almost makes sense that if the big... Um, touchstone story for Reed is Reed Richards versus the shadowy version of himself. There's something that seems almost symmetrically apt that Dr. Doom has to face the shadow version of himself that sure. is sort of technically either himself or a self that he has created like that. There's a way in which it sort of makes sense. And it's a manifestation of your point about Dr. Doom, which is, is that he's, he is his own worst enemy, that he's always the key to his own defeat, which is very much where Byrne is going with both parts of this story. The idea is that this is, that this guy really is classic Dr. Doom in that he was so goddamn arrogant, he wouldn't watch the rest of the fucking tapes. And therefore, you know, and then later on did did this whole like stop my robots because I'm totally going to fuck these people up with my impressive shouting skills. Like what? I, the weird part for me is, is how uh, I want to get a few issues in so that we can return to this because I'm, I almost feel like burn has a half-assed thing that he's trying to thematically talk about here. And we'll see whether it's true or not, I suppose. Um, before we get there, there is yeah. the two-page epilogue of this issue, oh, which gosh. introduces the new hate-monger. Right. He is inciting lots of white supremacists. Yeah. What is the color of darkness? Black. What is the color of evil? Black. What is the color we hate? They are interrupted by the priest who was holding the racial equality uh, meetings from the previous issue's poster. Oh. Uh, you didn't even notice that, did you? I Burn did not, Burn actually was mm -hmm. like laying groundwork there. Um, the short version is the crowd turns upon him and beats him up. And as the crowd is beating him up, uh, Unger, who is the hate monger, mm -hmm. goes backstage and meets his shadowy boss, who does not actually look green yet, s still has the fairly obvious silhouette. Although now that you've said Dark Side, I'm like, I wonder if people did actually think it was maybe Dark Side. Mm -hmm. uh, but also has their his his tablet that is visible in, in this. Um, Although meant to look very abstracted, it's kind of like these yes, little. That's true. Yeah, it, it's it's partially there, and it looks just looks like three white things. Yeah. Um, you see that the hate monger is a shapeshifter and mm -hmm. is is trying to incite hatred on everyone's side. What I want to say here is, there is a scene. Where, uh, a moment in the scene where the hate monger again uses a racial epithet yeah. against the priest mm -hmm. and the crowd chants it as they beat him up. This two-page uh, epilogue was reprinted in Secret Wars 2 in the UK mm. and they took that out. Oh, wow. They replaced the racial epithet with scum. Mm -hmm. And I had read, as I said, this was the first Fantastic Comic I, four comic I ever read. And mm -hmm. then I read the, the Secret Wars 2 thing. And I remember being like, they've changed it to scum. Yeah. That's really interesting. Like, even as whatever, an 11-year-old. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, that's really interesting that they changed it to scum. Yeah. I wonder why. And now I'm like, oh, he should have gone with scum all along. Yeah, I think so as well. 
I think so as well. Also, I, I want to say, um, Mr. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel like I, I appreciate how Burns um, doing, you know, approaching this as opposed to Claremont. But actually re-seeing that last page, I'm like, oh, yeah, this this does suck. Like, there's something... <laughs> Yes, this is really offensive. Well, it, and not just for for the phrase, which is being used just for shock, but I, I, I really didn't track it the first time, but or the God help me the second time. But looking at it now, I'm like, right. The thing that really sucks about the end of 279 is you have the hate monger turn into, uh, you know, is a shapeshifter and becomes uh, Amanda Waller, basically, and is like, yes, now I'm on to, to uh, changes shapes several different types, like meet with the Sons of Zion to fan the flames of their discontent. But first at nine, the Black Women's Defense League will hear me. And so the seed of ultimate destruction will grow and grow. And, um, you know, this is this is very this is very white guy unfortunately this is very um you know the if if this was if john byrne was was publishing this as the as his webcomic on tumblr he would get a talking to in the comic comments and i think rightfully so because the fact is he's basically being like oh yeah you know what if people you know People, black people talking about the things that have the, the injustices being per perpetrated on them or Jewish people getting together and talking about anti-Semitism like that's it, like it's all the same. It's all the same. Like it's all just divisive hatred. Hate exactly. Mongering, it's, right? it's just it's just like white people getting together yeah. to see the black is the color of evil. It's exactly yeah. the it's same. It's exactly the same thing, you guys. Like, can't we just all get along? And the and the fact of the matter is, is like, that is incredibly distressing because the fact of the matter is, is that what Byrne is saying is, is that even in, even though that in a cartoon world where white racism, racism against people of other people of color is being caused by, you know, a microbial sized scientist from another dimension, but people's attempts to like form groups and talk about it and protest against it are, you know, tools of the just microbial scientist. Yeah. Just as bad. It's, it's this horrible white person fake equivalency that is kind of shitty and again falls under that it, it, now that i think about it it really is just the same thing as chris claremont being like oh you think muty's okay an imaginary term about imaginary group of people what if i unload with a horrific pile of racial epithets that i'm saying is exactly the same thing for the same reasons it's like no, you guys. <laughs> no. <laughs> Stop John Byrne and Chris Claremont. I just love the idea that these two guys, one of whom is, you know, I, I feel like fiercely, fiercely resentful of the other one, can still manage to like, you know. Fuck up in exactly the same way at the same time. Exactly. Come together under the auspices of brotherhood by diminishing all any other complaints about racism whatsoever is a little uh, a little distressing and really does do a great job of summing up white people not just in the 80s but uh, even today i have to say so people might say 
how bad is this hate monger storyline? And I say, look at the cover of issue 280, where the Fantastic Four are literally crucified on a giant hate. Yeah. With with a crowd with their fists in the air and holding flaming torches. How, how bad is it? It's that bad. Actually, to be fair, if you look closely, not only can you not see anything that makes them look like they're crucified, but Johnny's hand is just hanging in nowhere. Like, you know how it doesn't really hook up with the T at all? Like, it's kind of... It's a bad cover. Let me tell you. I mean, it's, it is. It's, it's really terrible. It's, yeah. oh, it's it's terrible on so many levels. But here's the level I'm about to say it's terrible on. Okay. Look at She-Hulk's anatomy. See, that's what it. actually happened there? Yeah. Because John Byrne knows anatomy better than that. It's Byrne and, and it's Ordway. Ordway yeah, Ordway yeah. does. Ordway got like a real go at this. And, and they're like, okay, we got to crucify these people on the letters hate. Like, and everyone's like, they start drawing it, and it's that classic, like, this doesn't work. And they're like, uh, yeah, but you know what? We do not have time for another cover, so what are we going to do? I just love the idea that they're like, you know what? I'm going to draw the shit out of the, the arm, the wrist hair on this one guy's fist in the foreground. That's really yeah, just going to make I me fucked, feel better I fucked about up She-Hulk's leg, but that's okay. I'm going to pretend it's all in shadow. Yeah, totally. It's like, okay, this is bad, but you know what? I'm going to do some amazing stiple action to make you feel like you can see the Empire State Building in the background through flames. You know? It's just like, there, that's how I sleep at night. So... Graham, and this is the return, sort of in the same way that you've got the two-chapter, eh, why not, you know. I feel like this is also Byrne trying another FF staple with his with his opening page and kind of realizing it's not really his thing either. Can even the Fantastic Four prevail against mankind's darkest nature? Quote, tell them all they love must die, dot, dot, dot. How, how best to explain this issue, Jeff? I'm going to go with this. Okay, good. It's I was afraid your, your pause was so long. I'm like, oh shit, he wants me to do it? Christ. Okay. I, I really did, but you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't go along with it at all. It's a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> the FF are telling the police, you guys, the Baxter building was stolen. And everyone, and this is never mentioned, even uh, properly, who else was in the Baxter building when this happened? Is, well, are we meant to believe the Baxter building was entirely empty apart from the Fantastic Four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what we're supposed to believe. Yes. But what is the likelihood of that, yeah. really? Especially when, as they're telling the police, they are interrupted by the man who owns the deli at the bottom of the Baxter building. Mm. We've never seen it before, but he's here to be, ironically, in an issue that is theoretically approaching racial, racial tolerance, a terrible Jewish stereotype. Yeah. How terrible? It's terrible enough that he actually says, Oy vey, my shop, my poor little deli. Yeah. Yeah. How could such a thing happen to me? Oh, no. Yeah. No. No. Also, the Baxter building apparently was lifted up and taken off, but they left the deli behind. They did what? They didn't. Oh, right. The deli counter. Because you can see the deli counter. Yeah. No, I I don't understand what we're supposed to be looking at there. I really don't. Especially because... I guess you can see the deli in the opening page. Where you, you can. See mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes no sense. I mean, yeah. it makes zero sense exactly what happened to Baxter Building, but it doesn't matter. 
racial uh, stereotype Jewish man is attacked by the police. And when Wide Wingfoot says, take it easy, Captain, that's an old man, not Al Capone, he is then attacked by the police. Do you get it? White guys are going insane. Maybe you don't get it, because white guys fucking go insane all the time. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that I think is kind of interesting about it is, again, I, I, it's, I'm like, it's so close. I think it's kind of fascinating that you have a scene where a racist cop, you know, says horrific anti-Semitic things. Then when Wyatt steps in, he gets clubbed and beaten down. She-Hulk gets jumped by cops. And one of the, and I do appreciate this about John Byrne, is it's classic Reed Richards in that he says, tell She-Hulk to basically stand down and that the both of them should allow themselves to get handicapped and go in the, the paddy wagon. Because even though something's wrong here, brute force is not the answer. And basically, as a lawyer, you and Wyatt have no, have done nothing. No, you know you've done nothing under the circumstances to merit incarceration. And I'm like, again, this brings back the Reed Richards, who in the first 15 issues was adorably cronyish to any authority figure in the in the Stan and Jack run. So it's kind of awesome to see him back. Uh, I mean, at least in the sense that it's consistent, but I feel, I mean, part of it is, is the whole, like the fantastic four. So I feel like there's something where it's like, if you kind of had a retelling of that story that you loathe so much, where essentially you have a generation gap, but more or less along racial lines with the FF, it would be a really unpleasant story to read and not a lot of fun, but it would be a little more valid than what you get here. So the first couple of pages, I'm like, huh, let's see where this goes. And of course, where it goes is the least interesting place possible um, for the first half of the book, which almost feels like the John Byrne swerve. You know what I mean? Just in the same way that 278 is one half Dr. Doom's boring origin and that, well, it's not so boring. I mean, it's boring for me because it's like the seventh time we've come across it, you know, but it's been burnified. And then you get the second half of the story. The first half of this book, which is basically New York's on racial fire to the second half, which is kind of like, oh, hey, here's Malice and she's here to kick She-Hulk's ass. Um, feels It just feels like Burns kind of not... Sort of as I was complaining about, was it 276? I feel like Burns just not, or 277, Burns not really caring about how he integrates his storytelling. He's like, okay, now I do this part of the story, and now I do this well, part of the story. You know? so, so to that point, Burn is completely failing to sell this as the city is coming apart on racial terms, mm-hmm. which is what he clearly set up yes. in the end of 279. But in 280, you can read that into it, but it's worth noting that the policeman does not actually use any racial epithets against the, the deli owner. All he does is call him garbage and call him old. Well, yeah, I guess it's... Also, only uses one against Wyatt, which actually happens relatively quickly and didn't really have enough attention drawn to it. Mm. They also... Then when the crowd goes mad, the crowd attacks the remaining Fantastic Four, who are all white. Right. So, like, he does not sell 
the idea that it's a racial thing, he basically sells that people are super tense for some reason. Mm-hmm. And so he, he fucks up his own premise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's You're absolutely right. And it's kind of amazing that he doesn't go heavier on the racism considering we've seen him go worryingly heavy on the racism in the previous two issues. Right, right. That when he needs to do it to sell the story, he completely just loses it. Well, completely accept. maybe editorial just really got incredibly uncomfortable with it because because as you that's actually a really good point. There aren't a lot of there are like when we start seeing the signs in here, it's like the generic sort it's of muties. Yeah, it's muties, muties go, go home, home and keep New York clear of freaks. And there's a there's a thing about weirdos. And it just sort of seems like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe editorial. Maybe he went too far the previous yeah. issue in the planes. Yeah, maybe they just blinked, you know. And and I don't, I don't know if that, like you said, it's particularly considering where this story goes next, aka Secret Wars Two. It's hard to believe that that was what Byrne was thinking when everything was being conceived of. As much as his story gets, you know, railroaded into Jim Shooter's big event, um, or rather second big event, and it's uh, so so. There's there's elements of compromise in here. I don't think that Burns Burns' particular take on things would have been any lovelier. But now that I think about it, it makes sense a little bit because, like I said, the whole fact that. Once She-Hulk encounters Malice and gets her ass kicked by her, um, and you find out that it's Sue Storm, it is fortunately refreshingly free of Sue saying a whole bunch of terrible racist garbage. Right. We. I mean, that's the one blessing of this. Yeah, it is the one blessing, but part of me is kind of like, but that kind of is where your story would go go like i'm kind of like it is and it isn't sue's transformation into malice which gets explained in the next issue yeah is uh is bullshit right uh and is also undone by even more bullshit oh and i think i think that if i think that if they'd done i think that if they'd gone the like Miles is an amazing racist route. It would have been much more problematic to sue afterwards. Well, you know, I think I think if the, the reveal was the hate monger unlocked the appalling racist inside Sue Richards, that's much more damaging to the character long term. Well, but uh, for one thing, I don't know. Again, it's it th- this may be the editorial retcon, or it may be um, Burns. It may be Burns' actual approach. I don't know. But when She-Hulk... So basically, Wyatt and She-Hulk get driven off uh, in the back of a paddy wagon with Reed being like, just go and I'll get in touch with you guys soon. Don't worry, I'll get you out of this, whatever. The paddy wagon more or less gets um, bombed by a bunch of uh, guys trying to basically break open a paddy wagon and and free somebody who at this stage in the Marvel universe, that may actually be another valid storyline. I don't remember if it 
you know, this I, scene, I, we I, see this scene I again in Secret Wars yeah. too. Yeah, so I don't. It may not be, but after that, She Hulk basically starts um, running off on her own and says, "Like, there's always been stupid prejudices, bigotry against other races, other religions, even in these enlightened times." There's probably not a man or woman who hasn't felt that irrational fear and hatred flash inside them at least once. But why is it suddenly erupting now? So Burns being kind of minimize uh, to put it mildly, you know, to kind of go with it. But he's also very much laying the groundwork for, you know, a... Racism is is a quote unquote natural state, and B, it's being flamed into a natural levels. Now, don't get me wrong; I do not want white supremacists Sue storm. Although, again, the idea that just two issues earlier we have a young kid talk about how he's a huge fan of the human tor- of Johnny Storm for no real reason other than you think that Johnny is blonde haired and blue eyed as as is Sue. Um, and that Byrne is like, yeah, I want to, I want to play with the idea that these, these racial archetypes are not, are very specifically not racist, but I also want to lay the groundwork because, and this is the other thing that sort of gets weird is, um, Sue becomes malice. Sue turns around, kicks the Fantastic Four's ass, and then we end up with, bloodthirsty Sue Storm for at least uh, two issues. And that's kind of a weird... To me, I'm like, bloodthirsty Sue Storm would make a little more sense to me if she's literally like, you know, I've been turned into a garbage person. I've been degraded, you know, as well as I dress like a lingerie model, although I don't want to know what kind of concepts Byrne has... (laughs) <laughs> about lingerie, considering how much he keeps talking, referring to her as a lingerie model in this. Um, you Whereas, know, literally, like even even as what eleven year old, ten year old me, I was like, "Oh, that's BDSM." Right. <laughs> like, we, I I I mentioned in passing in the last episode, like Miles did crazy things to my ten year old hormones. Oh yeah. Oh, I damn. I was like, "What is this? This is very interesting. What is happening here?" <laughs> As only a 10-year-old can, do you know what I mean? Where right. you're like, this is unusual and makes me feel strange. Right, exactly. And I am very yeah. interested in this. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, Graham. I'm very glad I, to hear I, it. I want to uh, draw your attention to something that we were, uh, such as what we were talking about earlier, which is we were talking about how the, basically they toned down the, the, the epithets. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear. They've only used one, and they've used them multiple times in the last two issues, which is the N-word. Yeah. When she does break out of the paddy wagon, she does go on the run and she walks past a, a store or a, oh, a yeah, that's or right. thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Jew is painted on it. Yeah, and actually, there seems to be a an, a banner underneath that says Jews mm-hmm. and a star of David. Um, and it's really interesting to me that it's not something worse, I guess, mm-hmm. and it makes me really uncomfortable that. In Burns' attempt to be like, you know, everyone feels these irrational hatreds, mm-hmm. he only ever goes to the N-word and he uses it so freely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, 
I don't know. Again, there's just there's just a. I think that there's. We 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 could be here all night if we talk about white people's obsession with the N word and basically the whole idea of behind white privilege that for some people it drives them insane that they can't use it. You know, like they get frustrated or they come up with crazy hypotheticals where it's like, okay, but what if one guy says it to another guy and then I've got to get that guy's attention because there's like a bullet coming at him, but I have no way of saying what his name is, but there's six people on the street and, you know, like all that horrific shit that you hear about that's just dumbasses. In a similar way, I feel that Byrne and Claremont are kind of this thing of like, you know what, we've lived in New York forever, we're, we're white progressive people who are not racist, that's why we get to say this word. You know what I mean? Like, for white people who don't get a chance, who, who are so rarely told that things are off limits, you tell them something's off limits, and they're just like... I have I I cannot wait any I can't wait until Christmas morning. I have to open this present now. You know, it's like I'm, well, exactly. And they're, and they're like, but it's okay because I have the bad guys saying this word. Exactly, I've got the bad guys saying this word, and I'm also showing you that comics are relevant. You know, superhero comics—they're not just for kids anymore because they're filled with racial epithets, and you don't want to show them to kids now. <laughs> Comics aren't even for kids anymore, you guys. I mean, don't get me wrong. Ten-year-old Graham McMillan is trying to figure out how he feels about malice, but this is not for him. I mean, it is for him. We're glad we have his money, but it's kind of not for him. You know, it's just... Oh, comics. <laughs> so... Uh, anyway, we cut back to the uh, Avengers Mansion, which right. is where uh, Reed and Johnny are. And they are like, look, there's something weird going on with these pamphlets that you pocketed early on. Johnny, remember you pocketed that pamphlet from the kids who was racist? Yeah. There's something weird. Look, there's something weird in the molecular structure of these pamphlets. Maybe it's an alien thing. And as they are going, aliens, what? You mean like scrolls? This is weird. Franklin comes in and goes, daddy, remember I had powers? I have a power now of a cliffhanger. I dreamt that mom killed you. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. 280 is a garbage issue. It's bad. Well, it doesn't get more garbagey than basically Reed Richards going, but, but those colors have a far more sinister meaning, lad. It's like, oh my God, Reed Richards, you're blaming all of this on the colors. That's great. I mean, also, I think it's really, I think it's really important when you're having a story dealing with racial yes, unrest yeah. to say the colors are the problem. The colors are the problem. It's like, oh, I, I meant the colored molecules. It's like, fuck you, John Byrne. Just fuck you. Yeah, it's it's a terrible issue. It's a terrible issue. Except, of course, I have to say that I honestly, if there was, we've seen Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe again. Punisher kills the Marvel Universe. Axel Alonso kills the Marvel Universe. But we haven't... We ha if, if there was Sue Storm kills the Marvel Universe, I would totally buy it. I have to say, John Byrne coming up with reasons why basically Sue Storm is the baddest-ass member of the Fantastic Four and can more or less beat anyone except Reed Richards because... 
you know, he's Reed Richards. Reed Richards is is actually is I enjoy it. I I I enjoy the fight scene between her and She Hulk, even though it's super slight. Really, it just it just just sort of generally. Works. Well, it kind of works as being super slight because the point is essentially Sue can beat them easily. Yes. Exactly. Like Sue, Sue doesn't even need to break a sweat. She'll just cut off your ear. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Although uh, again, there's there's fun stuff like the the scene where she like pushes all that like the earth down with her force field, sort of you know compacting it on a you know so the She Hulk can't even touch her. It's cool stuff. It and it's also one of those like great little things of. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's great. But let, so let's just jump over to 281, which has a little bit more of it. And something that I did not realize was a burn trope until this issue. And Graham, I hope you know that what I'm what I'm talking about. I really don't. And I want you to get there. OK. Uh, is it like absolutely pointless Daredevil cameos? Yes, exactly. That is exactly the John Byrne trope. This is like the third time Daredevil shows up in this book for no fucking reason. He's just no, like, I'm you Daredevil. Know, no, you know the reason. Sales? No, Daredevil, probably. But also Daredevil showed up in the Lee Kirby run. <sighs> there's a, there's the issue where they're trying to get back into the Baxter building and well, Daredevil shows up. Yes, but... But that's, but that's it. That's yeah. it. All right. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense as a as a piece of ridiculous fetishism because it's the third time he's shown up, and it and at least this point he more or less gives a clue that anyone should be able to figure out unless Sue Storm is speaking with Cookie Monster's voice. But anyway, it is it is kind of amazing. Let's be honest that Reed and Johnny do not recognize Sue immediately. Basically, sure, she's wearing a mask and she's in a ridiculous costume. Yeah. But at the same time, how do they not immediately go, that's Sue? It's bad enough that, that Johnny actually compliments her on how hot she looks. Which, again, is like, admittedly, this is post-Empire Strikes Back, so maybe everyone was like, eh, eh, you know, eh. In, you know, semi, un, you know, sort of accidental incest is is a, is a pop genre staple for this period, you know, but uh, it's creepy. It is creepy. I have to say, I like I I was so underwhelmed uh, by the Marvel Unlimited version of this double page spread um, of New York Burns again with Burn. So funny. Uh but I really like it in the GIT original. It's got a lot of, um, I don't know, just vigor and pep to it. Oomph. Like, yeah, the oomph, like the way that the way that the clouds of smoke almost look like Kirby crackle um, is kind of neat, you know? Yeah. yeah. So um, let, let's speed through this issue because this is uh, <laughs> you're it, like, it's, well, it's garbage. <laughs> Well, yeah, but also it's really all about the the climax, which has the worst. Oh yeah, like, like the worst denouement imaginable. Mm -hmm. the, the super sharp version is this: the uh, New York is burning. 
because yeah. the Hademonger and his mysterious boss, who is clearly Psycho Man, because they fucking show you Psycho Man's head. Yes, okay. Now <laughs> at this point, you're kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. Exactly. Like, wait, the last issue, they also showed you, like, his armor out of shadow and in color. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah, it's everyone knows it's Psycho Man. Why are you not just admitting it's Psycho Man? Spoilers, they're not going to admit it at all this issue. And then next issue, they're just going to pretend like they, everyone knew all along. Because right. the reveal happens in Secret Wars 2. But we'll get there in a second. Hatemonger and the Psycho Man send Malice slash Sue to take care of the Fantastic Four. In the meantime, Daredevil is trying to do his Daredevil-y thing and getting beaten up by the people who are saving, he's saving from muggers. Because New York's been driven mad by hate! As Johnny rescues Alicia, he discovers that when Alicia was being taken to safety by Sue, Reed appeared. And then something weird happens she doesn't know. And Johnny's like, no, Reed was with me the whole time. What are you talking about? This is weird. She-Hulk wakes up and goes, who just beat me up? Wait, that's weird. It couldn't have been, huh? (laughs) Then we cut to Reed and Johnny having a a conversation with Malice. She, she, again, does a pretty good job of, of beating them up. Until Daredevil shows up and goes, who's that weird amorphous blob person over there? Reed's like, oh, you beat Force Fields. Oh, shit, it's Sue. Sue's like, yes, it's me. You counted me out because I was a woman. I can't even have a baby. I hate you. Wait. And now I know that I hate you. What? Okay, okay, so here's one of the things that I'm kind of curious about, Graham. Is you're in, uh, as, we, as we know, John Byrne is not what you would call subtle with the subtext, but he's also the sort of guy who, not unlike Dr. Doom, is a big pl- fan of explaining what he's doing as he does it. Yes. Like, I, Are you asking why I keep saying the, the, the miscarriage thing? Yeah, because it's not because mentioned in because, any way. No, no, but it is. Is it? Reed says, who? A woman? And uh, Sue slash Malice says, don't you mean just a woman, Reed Richards? Someone to be ignored at best, patron- uh, ignored at worst, patronized at best. Someone to be stifled, frustrated every turn, capable of bearing children but never responsibility. The bearing children part. But, okay. Uh, so... Uh, I, I still subtext, but I, th- I think that it's... I think well, that it's, it ties in. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm giving Byrne far too much credit. Well, because I, I think for me, I, I think my 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 problem with that would be, and and maybe it's just sort of my misunderstanding is is that rather than it being some sort of weird, she is upset that she lost the baby and or blames herself and or is super angry. Um, you know, it's 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 not like someone who's just, you know, can't even have a baby, for example, which would be like maybe too on the nose or whatever. But part well, of me the, is uh, oh, sorry, on you. my whole thing is, is that if you if you take out the whole section with Sue's miscarriage where she does not have she's not pregnant at all or if she turned around and had another child, the the fact is. Reed's continuing minimization of Sue 
complete with calling her, you know, saying that she she can't be with the team because nothing's going to happen to the to the mother of my child, which is like mm-hmm. I think an actual quote from oh from yeah the, on, the on, 100s on a, yeah on more than one occasion we'll yeah. see and i feel that that's it there's nothing here that and, and this is the other part that i want to talk talk about too is we have a few issues later where this where the psycho man issue uh resurfaces and we see uh, a nightmare vision inside sue's head and and i really want to talk about it because i think it's interesting it, potentially interesting in a number of ways but the, the other thing I was going to say really quickly is, mm-hmm. for me, Malice builds off of intentionally or otherwise the fact that since the miscarriage, Sue has been a lot more emotionally brittle and a lot more angry. She she has been a lot more angry. Um, and but and again, I don't know if that's actual foreshadowing, and I might be giving Burn for too much credit. Well, but that I, that's always been my reading of it. Always. Interesting, because I I think. W- there's a few things that are really strange about it. Like it's, it's just Sue, Sue is hypersexualized in this way. And, and also I feel that Byrne has, has done a really good job of laying the groundwork for Sue being someone who's ultra competent. He's gone a great deal, like continually hammering on this idea that Sue is, the strongest member of the team and the most competent person on the team. And it more or less, everyone acknowledges it and then continues to treat her more or less the same. And so I just think that um, uh, among other things, what I think is interesting is, is the idea that Sue, that it could very well be that, that Byrne is interested in trying to portray a woman realistically you know and again this is my weird thing of i my own um perhaps mistaken but continuing ongoing take is is that burns frustration for how much he ended up being overshadowed by chris claremont in their collaboration and how much those things how much burns contributions were continually sort of minimized and attributed to Claremont, I don't want to say that. Well, although now that I'm saying it, it's I'm I'm saying that Byrne basically sees himself as Sue Storm. You know, he is weirdly the invisible woman of the of the Claremont Byrne relationship. You know, kind of this like, look at me, I've got all the power. I'm the person who can do all this stuff. I'm the person that's great. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 Reed Richards is awesome. And that frustration that you see kind of growing in the background of being minimized that I think builds with malice, but also I think drives Byrne to be like, God damn it. Like, again, as I think we've discussed, Byrne's frustration at how seriously Claremont's portrayal of women is uh, taken, how seriously it's taken and how much respect Claremont gets for that drives Byrne up a wall because... Because he knows that it's it, that it's coming from a place of sexual fetishization for Claremont, and also burns very much uh, like I I want to show I, I can I basically I can beat him at his own game. I'm going to show uh, a realistic woman, which is someone who's who is a good mother, but frustrated at pr- always being 
jammed into the role of mom. Someone who can like lose a baby in a miscarriage, which is a very common thing that can happen. And the sense of private shame that is hard to share. You know, he's trying to, I feel like he's really kind of like, I am building a solid psychological portrait of somebody who is genuinely heroic and awesome and and ends up being mature and adult about it. Again, assuming that there's no super swerve that mandated by editorial, you've got the, the rest of this arc is once Sue is no longer malice, she's like, God damn it. Get me into the micro world. I am taking revenge. We have to have revenge. I've got to have my vengeance. And then when you get to the point where it's vengeance, there's a weird cutaway because Byrne can't, He. it's more or less said in the text, I'm not going to kill you. That's not the way that I roll. Like Sue is clearly going to be heroic. And yet whatever happens to Psycho Man off, off screen is also weird and horrible and nobody's even allowed to go look at it so it could go either way you know i, I have yeah i have a lot of um i have a lot of problems with the end of the storyline mm -hmm. and, and and the the psycho man showdown that you're talking about yeah before we even get there though i want to say that i have a, even more problems with the end of this issue mm -hmm. uh which is oh, once you realize that it's sue reads uses his magic brain as he does mm -hmm. to come up with a solution to the problem because he surmises that because sue has been made to hate reed if he makes her hate him even more the spell will be broken yeah basically the the insanity of my best guess is an old foe of yours reached into your mind turned your strongest drives your compassion your love turned them inside out made you hate us i had to force you to truly despise me if only for an instant to unbalance the effect reverse it and it's like what like i mean it really is fascinating that the guy who went to such great lengths to explain how the ff could survive make basically make it back to earth in a scientifically pleasing way comes up with like even Stan Lee would be like, "That's some embarrassing jibbity jab you just broke out there." That is, and, and in the process, he slaps her. Oh yeah, and says, uh, "Please don't make me laugh in your face, Susan." Mm -hmm. You can tell he's mad. He calls her Susan. Yeah, you'd have been killed outright years ago, but for the rest of us carrying you, mm -hmm. uh, we indulge your foolish female outbursts. But now is not the time for such games. Yeah. Uh, oh Jesus Christ! It's horrible. <laughs> She's like, read what? What happened? Where? Where am I? What am I doing in this costume? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. This and this issue literally ends with her going, "I remember. I know who did this to me. I know who did it, and I know where he is. And I'm going to punish him to be continued, but not in the pages of the Fantastic oh, Four." God. Why would you want to read the end of your story, which has taken four issues? Exactly. In the comic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, is like, uh, you know, kind of a major storyline. It really is just so amazing that you've got something that isn't quite, you know, Burn Burn knows that he's riffing off of Dark Phoenix. But the idea that you would actually, like, complete your storyline in not even the title, but I do not think that that is something that Burn would have wanted or was happy about. 
Well, yeah. so let's actually talk about this because 282 starts with a 10-page dream sequence from Franklin, which is mostly silent and basically tees up Franklin joining Power Pack. Yeah, which is awful. That is also, again, also, this weird peak it's, Marvel it's bullshit. It's almost inexplicable and makes me wonder if that's a replacement scene for what had initially been oh, a showdown thing with Psycho Man. You are a genius. You're right, because it fits slots super, super, super neatly into, um, you know, again, that sort of burn basically telling the first half of a story in the first 10 or 11 pages and then going to the second half of the story in the next 10. You're absolutely right. That is that's because, really because it cuts sharp. from that and Franklin wakes up and then walks past the, the Fantastic or three of them Fantastic Four preparing to go into the microverse. Mm-hmm. Imagine instead you had 10 pages where Burn actually got to do that in the book. Yeah. And then after the fact, Shooter's like, no, 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 I'm going to do this in Secret Wars. You have to come up with another 10 pages for the start of your next issue. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, admittedly, Burn is pretty tight with um, the Simonsons, uh, and so this is really, I mean, I think his attempt to be like, I, you know, I don't disagree. It makes a ton of sense because my cynical reading was, man, John Byrne really like must have owed Louise Simonson a big favor, you know. So it's but. But like I said, I also I also want to point out that uh, this dream sequence proves that John Byrne is terrible drawing kids. That's the worst of <sighs> her back in existence. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a terrible. I mean, that's a terrible looking power pack. You know, it is. What it, is what is going on with Katie there exactly? I don't I like don't. the rest of them are almost on model. Yeah, but Katie, I have no idea what is happening with Katie Power in that picture. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. And again, the haircuts. I'm just not a big fan of the haircuts. But uh, yeah, uh, well, you know, I got to tell you, you, you may say that he's not good at drawing kids. But one thing that John Burns great at, he's drawing a hot water bottle. I could not get the image of a hot water bottle out of my head when the Fantastic Four climb into their little micro ship. Because you cannot tell me. That is a guy who is like, uh, and I mean, I admit it. As a kid, I used to love taking household objects and turn them into spaceships that I'd kind of zip around, you know, because, you know, I grew up during the Star Wars Battlestar Galactica years. I spent an amazing amount of time developing an amazing space epic around two Atari 2600 cartridges we had lying around (laughs) the house. So I feel that I, I, when I see something, I'm like... That is a fucking hot water bottle. Like, like I don't know if like John Byrne was like, I've got to like write this goddamn thing off on my taxes because my back's killing me. But I, the, my accountant says that I can't because it's just my back, and that's not. A, it's like fuck you. I'm gonna make it into a spaceship, a model for the for as the FF fall into the microverse, and then then I will have my uh, revengeance upon an accountant. It would be great if I could just nail down the imitation so that my imitations of John Byrne was as if he was Dr. Doom. 
because <laughs> let's face it, it's kind, it, they're kind of the same character in, in a way. In Whereas so many it's, ways, it's fascinating that you see it as a water bottle because I honestly see it as like a flask of some sort. Yeah, it's sort of. It's kind of. I actually, I was looking at it. There's a scene where it's tumbling through microspace, and I'm like, oh yeah, hip flask. But the scene where it's like shrinking, um, I'm like, that's eh, a hot water bottle. You just kind of got that extra thing. The neck's too long. You know, so for anyone who's following along and hasn't read these comics and things, how did they get to shrinking down to the microverse from Franklin's dream sequence? I wish I could say that it was a smoother transition in the comic. Yeah, but it's really not. The previous issue, 281, ends with Sue saying, I know who did this and I'm going to make them pay. And then the next time you see the Fantastic Four, they are doing the last minute checks on a machine to shrink them down to the microverse. And there's not even a big reveal that it was Psycho Man. Literally, Sue comes in and says, we are going after Psycho Man, Reed. We must. That's the reveal. Again, people who knew the Psycho Man in the first place have known it's been him all along. So it doesn't really deserve a big reveal. But at the same time, it kind of does. It kind of does, considering, as you pointed out. And then when he does appear, they don't necessarily refer to him by name. So it's clear he's supposed to get a moment where he's like, hey, hey, you know. (laughs) Sorry. Hey, hey. (laughs) Hate. Fear. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Somewhere between Krusty the Clown and a classic vaudeville entertainer lies the Psycho Man. (laughs) <laughs> Waka chicka, you know, it's like Fozzie Bear. <laughs> then his ears sort of start waggling. Ah, ah. So yeah, it's. Oh my god, Psycho Fozzie. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, so it's kind of kind of terrible. Um, yeah. And so they're like, Sue's like, we're going after Psycho Man, and Reed's like, well, you Beyonders on Earth, maybe we should do that. And Sue's like, fuck you, and she really does. I mean, she gets into a two-page shouting match yeah. with Reed, where Franklin comes in and is like, I am really scared. Also, I should be very scared because I seem to have shrunk. Yeah, and like my head is really big and my body's tiny now. But that's game. The next panel, I'll have my normal proportions back. But don't worry, two panels from now, I'll be out of proportion again. <laughs> Because John Byrne and Children is a terrible combination. I wish I was overselling this. John Byrne is really scared of children and thinks they're shape changers who can change size. (laughs) It's astounding. John Byrne maybe has never seen a child apart from on television. Who knows exactly what is going on? Nonetheless, he shows up and is like, you guys are, why are you fighting? And Sue is pretty much just like, fuck you. We're going after Psycho Man. I'm really pissed off. Don't we have a butler in fucking Avengers Mansion? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Luckily, they do. She then breaks down and says, essentially, he raped me. Right. For a comic that was super loose and using the N-word like two issues ago, mm-hmm. the, the euphemisms here, women all over the world know the threat of physical assault. Many spend their whole lives stymied by that single all-consuming fear, but no living woman has ever been assaulted as I have been. Physically, I'm unscathed, but my innermost self, my soul, which, again, feels astoundingly offensive. Well, it does. I, but... I think the point he's trying to make, and actually, I think it's a really legit point for what has happened in the story. It's a super legit point. I and and sorry, not just in the story, but again, this is this is this is Burn really redressing what he thinks is a prime Claremont evil, which is. 
that that he is my, the, the mind control is a big deal because in X Men mind control happens like every fucking two seconds. Mind control happens every two seconds. People are turned into evil versions of each other. But Claremont also has this like, but it's but they also like it, you know? Yeah, that's that's Claremont's fetish. That and and every single time that it's you know, mm-hmm. I know this is wrong, but it feels so good. Yes, exactly. Every single time. Yeah every single time that's 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 his big button and so burn is really having this thing where he's like look i my soul was assaulted and it was horrible and i feel angry and it and and it it, it, he's being very clear like there is nothing about that that was at all good or exciting or enticing to me and and you know for myself i'm like i really appreciate i don't I think Burns not doing a great, well, you know, honestly, for me, maybe because of that, some of this stuff with Sue works okay for me. The scene, the scene where she basically is is like gritting her teeth in frustration and is and says, "I don't believe this. Dreams, alien invasions, monsters, and every time I've had to be calm and quiet and understanding." Part of me's like, "Yeah, fuck yes, Sue." I mean, the thing that's problematic is is where this falls in the FF history to, of where Burns been taking the characters. It it doesn't quite land right, you know, because he's kind of getting around to it. But if this had been happening like the sixth you know the sixth or seventh issue into burns run you'd be like fuck yes you know because this is because i feel like a sue has always had to put her stuff in the back seat it was never considered at all as equal or important as whatever else was going on but secondly when she actually does break down and say and she doesn't break down which is i think is also a good point she gets the part where burns very careful not even to show her like breaking into tears like the scene where reed is comforting her burn wants that reveal of having sue looking furious to be meaningful like to have it be to be shocking to be shocking and again i agree with all of that stuff in principle but you know in execution following on the heels of some really crass race exploitation just for a couple of, uh, you know, easy issues is, um, it's creepy. Also, I can't take anyone with a mullet seriously. I just can't. The, the mullet just... is weirdly distracting. <laughs> like, legitimately distracting. Legitimately distracting. I'm like, every time I see it, I'm just like, oh, God, no, why? Anyway, um... They end up so in the anyway, so, yeah, yeah, they, 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 they end up shrinking down in either a flask or a hot water bottle <laughs> and end up in the microverse because they are going after the psycho man who presumably went back to the microverse at right. some point. Well, because yeah. I, I, I didn't actually check out the Secret Wars issue, but I seem to remember from reading the British comic, he doesn't do that in Secret Wars. Oh my god, I read Secret Wars too, and I have to but tell does you. Does he not Graham. literally just like shoot the hate monger and disappear? He doesn't shoot the hate monger. That's the thing that's... Oh, that's, Starch shoots the hate monger. Yes, he? and you don't know who it is. That's why it's this crazy double... Like, it's peak Marvel when you get to Secret Wars 2. Not only do you not have the storyline wrap up, but the new hate monger gets shot by Scourge uh, saying justice is served. The psycho pirate who you barely see, actually... In fact, come to think of it... um. 
there is there unseen in the shadows the mysterious figure whom the hate monger calls master manipulates a strange control device seeking to thwart reed richard's plan before it begins and then, and then I just love the next panel is the Beyonder pops up and says to Reed Richards is hallucinating why there is eating, which is the best. I am sorry. I have to say Jim Shooter ruins Marvel with Secret Wars 2, but Secret Wars 2 <laughs> issue 2 is hilarious spider-man showing the beyonder how to use the bathroom i swear to god oh my god if you can get your hands on the secret wars 2 hardcover they did a few years ago which is an omnibus of all of the crossovers apart from the licensed titles oh man it's astounding because you realize not only secret wars 2 actually amazing Mm -hmm. i mean it's terrible but it's compellingly terrible it's but you also realize that all of the major crossovers Mm-hmm. The shooter managed to bring that level of quality to every book across the Marvel yes. line. Yeah, it's amazing. You you really have that thing of someone being like, but can I drag down an entire comics line by myself? And yet, at the same time, there's something that's so dumb, but entertainingly dumb. I was entertained by Secret Wars 2, issue 2, in a way that's kind of... I don't know. I mean, because it's Shooter oh, really re- is. He's trying re- to... Re- read the whole fucking series. Oh, There's I'm some sure. great stuff in there. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, issue... Shit. I want to say issue three mm-hmm. is the one where he gets orga- in with the organized crime people mm. uh, because he meets a, a prostitute who introduces him, the Beyonder, to her pimp, who oh, then teaches God. them the, like, the moral values of the Marvel Universe, which includes... Him getting a Michael Jackson haircut? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, it's I. I gotta admit, like I read the first issue of Secret Wars two, and of course, again, never big fan of Steve Gerber ca- character assassination. So I, I kind of trailed off. Plus, it was just sort of terrible. But reading it now, I'm like, perhaps because I've been on a steady di- diet of Bob Haney, I'm like, holy shit, Secret Wars two. Oh my god. Plus, either. Either Jim Shooter does not understand how physics works, or Luke he tries to pass it off like Luke Cage doesn't know how how physics work. But at one point, the Beyonder jumps out the window, fourteen stories up, and Luke Cage jumps after him, saying, "I'm heavier than him, so I should fall faster." And I'm like, "What? Oh no! Who doesn't know the rule of physics here? I can't." What? No, you've got a higher terminal velocity because of your greater mass, but you both fall at the same fucking speed. The whole feathers in the bowling ball or Fred Flintstone or Galileo or whoever the hell it was. I don't clearly I don't know science and I know this. Anyway, <laughs> A, the psychopath there, there's, there's there's no good answer to that either because either Shooter didn't know or Shooter thought that it was important that Luke Cage didn't know. I know, right. It, there's there's no good answer. Yes, it, it really is. It's like the classic dilemma is like Jim Shooter, ignorant or racist? We'll never know. So Psycho Man, who I keep wanting to call Psycho Pirate, so good job who you have the brand DC. I already have, yeah. DC DC's on point for this one. Psycho Man is never referred to by name in this issue, and when yes, he disappears, yes, he's, he's referred to. Uh, oh, sorry, in Secret Wars Two, you mean? I thought yeah. you were going to say no, no, no. Secret, Secret Wars Two. Uh, it, 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 it's it, Reed says, 
I also have a hunch about the identity of the mastermind behind him, but we have a more pressing concern right now. And Sue's, Sue's like, I want him to pay for what he did to me. Whoever this is he, he about the Beyonder, he can wait. So, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Which makes it all the more amazing that Sue then says it's the Psycho Man with absolutely no reveal on, like, page 10 of this issue. And then the last page of this issue is the full page reveal <laughs> that it's Psycho Man. <laughs> Ah, yes, indeed. Good times, it's, people. It's Good times. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I don't know. Maybe Byrne was like, maybe he thought that Psycho Man was like some sort of like, maybe Byrne wasn't reading what Bill Mantlo was doing in the Micronauts, but Psycho Man's popped up a couple of times between his first appearance and now. He was not an obscure character as far as I was concerned. He was you know? relatively obscure. I want to say that he had basically only been appearing in Micronauts for a while. Okay. Well, that, and even I mean, then, when I say only appearing in Micronauts for a while, like maybe twice. Yeah. So right. at this point, it's 85. He might not have appeared like for at least five years. Okay. Well, I all I know is is that, like you said, I, I you know, as, as, as game as I was to try and actively be um, interested, you know, like, well, maybe he's trying for a dark side, you know, uh, grinding goodness, kind of glorious Godfrey thing. Uh, I was like, it's clearly Psycho Pirate. So when he pops up, you're kind of like, yeah, that's Jeff, Jeff, Psycho, Psycho Man. Man, Psycho Man, Psycho Pirate's a better name. Psycho, Psycho Man Pirate's really likes anything. Name. Yeah, it's honestly, Psycho Man is like they gotta change that. So yes, you get that great kind of image of Psycho Man putting the the sh- the shrunk down Fantastic Four into uh, a bunch of, um, I don't know, speculum bottles. Test tubes. Test tubes. Why? Yeah. I don't, because they're small and he's big. See, and it's... this is, yeah, this is, this is amazing because it's one of those deals where it's like, if it was anyone else, you'd be like, well, because it's comics. Be- but because it's John Byrne, you're like, but why is he doing this? And of course, because it's John Byrne in the next issue, it's the whole part of the whole key to read figuring out how to defeat the psycho man. So it's like, uh, uh. so the opening pages of 283 torment are really interesting to me. Also, I noticed that neither you nor I have bothered to mention the fact that, that burn on each of his splash pages, starting around 278, not all of them, mind you, which makes it really confusing, keeps coming up with like classic quotes. Did, did you notice that again? It's kind I of did, like, I did did notice that and yeah. i think it's because burn thinks he's being uh this is burn's prestige storyline yeah That's you know you get to the end of 284 like. and it's cl- it's very clear that he's like this is it like this is as good as i've ever done in comics i i've broken through i'm fucking next level now he, he clearly thinks mm-hmm. oh th- this is it i've really like i've i've, I've crossed over this mm-hmm. is this is me i am now one of the best comic creators <laughs> Of you can all tell time. Mm-hmm. I, I added the quotes at the front and I've had Sue Richards really she's grown up because spoilers everyone the, the end of the storyline is Sue saying I'm not the invisible girl anymore I'm the invisible woman <laughs> and it's just and you, like Burn is clearly like I'm making a point you guys mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not only is racism wrong apart from when I'm using it for cheap sensationalism <laughs> is wrong as well okay 
And I didn't need a tiny little guy from the microverse to teach me that. <laughs> I've been right. all along. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So Torment starts off as as sort of as we had the previous issue with Franklin's uh, puzzling dream sequence. We have a very long, um, immediately... We, we are a uh, twig to the fact that um, something is not right because Sue is in seem appears to be in media res with uh, a, an adventure with the other members of the fantastic four and except Ben's there and his face looks different and Reed is there and Reed is much older and Johnny's and there continues to get older throughout yeah. the entire thing as Sue continues to get younger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay, that's actually a really good point, I think. Reed, um, Reed continues to age th- dramatically through the dream sequence, and Sue continues to get younger. Also, Johnny is significantly younger as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is super interesting to me. Well, and this is why I think that Burn. What I find is interesting here is the extent to... So, so in, in, in traditional Burn ways, amazingly enough... This dream sequence manages to kill the first half of the issue, as you might expect, and the second half of the issue is Psycho Pirate being, <laughs> I get to torture Sue Richards all I want. How great! And I'm going to show off about other things, and then uh, we're going to get a, a few pages of a subplot where She-Hulk has been struck with, um, is stuck in the minds of Nuvar or whatever to basically toil away because she's been hit with the fear ray and is basically afraid of everyone and everything uh, and gets to the part that really does annoy the shit out of me. But of course we cut back to Johnny and Reed basically in their trapped and Reed being like, Reed, aren't you going to do something like do something? You jerk. Sue's getting tortured. Like, how can you just sit there? And Reed's like, Oh, that's okay. I'm doing this thing where I'm just going to turn my body into more or less a liquid flow out of the airtight holes, uh, you know, because we're getting air flow out of the, the holes in the bottom of the machine and then use it to pop the psycho man's head out off and pull the tiny psycho man out from inside because it's not important enough that the psycho man has control of all their of all their feelings at the press of a button. He thinks that it's important enough to make them feel undermined by thinking that they're actually physically smaller than him, that he's built an enormous set and is working in a giant robot suit to make them seem like they're tiny. But Reed, of course, has figured out that they're not because, oh, boy. Oh boy. Well, that's just not like it actually makes no sense. It doesn't. And when Reed like, sort like, of talks about it, it's like, huh? So, yeah. It's the strangest. It's the strangest thing because this issue kind of seems to deal with the Psycho Man, except next issue, they're like, oh, no, never mind. Mm-hmm. It's like Burn actually changes his mind. He's mm-hmm. like, wait, I didn't really do what I wanted with the Psycho Man after all. Right. Uh, worth noting in Sue's dream that is uh, essentially implanted in her by Psycho Man mm-hmm. uh, she is not responsible for the death of the entire Fantastic Four but is told that she is responsible by yeah. each member as they die then she faces her parents who are skeletons 
And yeah. so she is, is essentially uh, being taught a lesson that she is responsible for everyone and that it is all her fault to be uh, when things go wrong. Yeah. This is is very interesting in the context of Sue Richards to this point. Mm-hmm. Because Sue, as far as creators have treated her, has always been the maternal one. Has mm-hmm. always been the one who is actually responsible for the fantastic for Yeah. Burton doesn't take that any further, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, it's it's a super interesting dream sequence, but he he doesn't really do anything. He then switches from like if he's trying to make a feminist point there, we'll see if he is. I feel that's entirely undercut by the She-Hulk scenes. Well, okay, yeah, the She-Hulk scenes, and this is the thing that I think is is the She-Hulk stuff is horrible shit. Like, I wish I I wish that was not a pun, but as we will soon find out. Um, it is, uh, no, I think, I think that burn sort of the same way that terror in a tiny town is burn in a very sort of discreet way, talking about what makes Ben Grimm tick. Uh, I think there's actually a really good argument to be said that these dream pages, apart from the fact that essentially that you have the psycho pirate showing them uh, the rest of the FF dying and Sue feeling like it's all her fault. Well, very explicitly being told it's all her fault, her failing everyone. And, and this is part of the psycho pirates torture. I would actually argue that things, for example, Ben Grimm having partially Ben's face is not so much a, doesn't seem to serve any particular aspect of the psycho pirates plan and arguably you could say oh well this is how john Byrne wants to twig us to the idea that this that this is all fucked up but i think that Byrne is trying to talk about what's going really what's going on in sue storm's head and how it gets used against her by the psycho pirate um it, it sort of obscures it. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think you're right. I think burn is basically wants to point to a number of things here. Basically that Seuss does see Johnny as a kid and her little brother that she basically can't see Ben as a whole monster. Like she literally, when she sees him, she does see him and she sees his face. And the fact that Reed is older than her is a source of significant anxiety for her. And I'd even go so far yes. as to say that the, the, that that significant source of anxiety for Sue is centered around either A, the idea that she has, for the past 200 and something issues, been seeking Reed Richards' approval um, because he's essentially the father figure that she lost, or that she has incredible amounts of anxiety that that is at the core of their relationship, which again, sort of um, repowers, I suppose that sort of weird maternal instinct that she has when she's technically um, the only person she's older than on the team is Johnny. Like Ben and Reed are both older than her, but she has been, the quote unquote mother figure of the team for such a long time that I think what Burns pointing to is 
a certain amount of overcompensation for the fact that Reed is older than her and what she worries that that means. And again, although the the traditional like, oh, we're your parents and you're dead and now you're going to be with us forever is supposed to present one thing, but I think really does present um, in, in a very coded way another thing. So... I don't know. That's that's my two cents of 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 Baxter building over analysis for for this episode. Talk to me about why you hate the She-Hulk stuff so much. Uh, God, wait. What? The, why it's why it's so fucking terrible? Yeah. Uh, okay. So so basically, the thing that sucks. It, it, step one is is that one of the things that's been great about She-Hulk is is that up until this point, and again. Byrne has done a pretty great job of making She-Hulk a strong uh, member of the team, sort of has an equal share. And and apart from some early stuff like, oh, people in California are like this and people in New York are like this. He's he's mostly kind of avoided kind of the like, oh, she's a bimbo kind of uh, undercurrent that has been presented to She-Hulk up into this side. And so she's presented as a strong character seeing her be super fearful to a bunch of dudes uh who are are basically cruel um is again burn basically slipping into the easy path of creepy and gross exploitation so that when you get to issue 284 revolution which is more literally has she-Hulk be degraded in a way that, again, goes way too far because toiling away in the slave mines and starving and dying of thirst, she basically is begging for water and the the awful guard who's like, so water you want, is it slave? Literally takes sewage runoff and pours it into her throat in a graphic scene where you more or less see, I mean, it's not spelled out, but unless, you can either be like, oh, it's mud, but it really seems like you can see excrement sort of more or less falling out of She-Hulk's mouth as she, like, collapses, coughing and gagging to the ground in 274. And so it's hideous. Like, that's all ostensibly a setup for when she gets you know, her moment of like, no, after, you know, be cowering in fear and being told by Princess Perla to remember who she is, she okay, remembers but, who she is and kicks the, yes, you, you're like, you're I overlooking something. Yes, I do no, hate no, no, that. No, no but yeah. I, I hate that because Princess Perla doesn't do anything other than go, you should believe in yourself. And I hate the idea that she-Hulk has been reduced to someone who actually doesn't even think I should be able to get out of this for the mm-hmm. entire thing. Fury right. or no fucking Fury, I hate that. Yeah, it it seems so reductive and so uh, unnecessarily dismissive of her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I do too. I don't. I really don't like it, and I don't know if. <sighs> again, it's something to make Sue seem like more of a badass with her showdown with Psycho Pirate or I, Psycho Man, or I think it's just I think it's Burn, Burn being like, no, this is this is how you do this. This is kind of how the dramatic trope plays, and it's fascinating to watch how when Burn has uh, an axe to grind, 
with as as he more or less is doing with his treatment of Sue, um, he can be really aware. And then when you know it's more or less okay, and now here's the scene where like She Hulk like breaks busts loose. It's it's a really gruesome, sadistic scene that has really no point to be that terrible as it is and hot on the heels of burn being like no you bastards rape is really wrong it is not something that you should just you know exploit for a storyline he's kind of like oh yeah and then in this issue like a guy pours like uh you know excrement down she hulk's throat don't worry he's gonna punch her so he she's gonna punch him so hard his helmet flies off like what uh, what you know it just really does make you think like oh right burn really thinks that he's interested in this stuff but again to me it feels like it's score settling you know and, and yeah it, 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 if if he is interested he's got the weirdest way of showing it and also yeah. he has a lot of blindness as yeah. to what he's actually doing yeah exactly you know it, it, and it's just because you don't he spends what two issues three issues uh on Sue's need for vengeance, as she melodramatically calls it, calls yeah. it after she's had her mind messed with. Yeah, and she all gets nothing more than just being like, "Oh, don't you worry, I'm gonna beat these guys up." Yes, yeah, for for exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah, because because the story isn't about Sue, is the thing. Mm-hmm. The story is about burn thinking he's making a point and saying look at me i'm so smart i'm calling her the invisible woman now right which again in a way if you buy into that thing that the dream sequence is a little bit of sue really looking at the fears and what's driving her and her changing yeah, and, and herself who she is yeah, yeah. I, and and i'm sure that I, maybe i'm misinterpreting it and it's nothing so sad as the fact that in that sequence she keeps de-aging down to literally being a girl and and sue later being like no i i reject that i'm the invisible woman like i'm like eh, i don't know again i'm i'm sort of like it's it's so it's so i mean burn is he's a product of his time you know what i mean like there were yeah, lots well, of times yes. where we thought that you know like ooh, she's gone from being the invisible girl to an invisible woman but in this story that really strips clean the i mean this is the kind of stuff that uh, sadly like uh, you know I was I was in college and i was reading shit with wolfman and perez and teen titans where i was like this is sophisticated literature. I mean, I wasn't quite there, but you know, but I was close enough. That was the era of mainstream comics where they're like, yeah, my, my story of how the invisible girl comes to, you know, call herself the invisible woman and really owns her womanhood, you know, in a story that depending on, you know, it, taken at your face value, Graham runs all the way from a miscarriage to psychic rape, to psychic vengeance, but in a but in a heroic way, <laughs> it's just like oh ah oh comics you hurt so much you know what I mean <laughs> it's like oh ooh well anyway so you know um so yeah I feel like uh, if, I feel I feel like really quickly we should actually summarize the second half of the issues plot. yes since, since uh, beyond, we have beyond to talk Chihulk, about Superman mm-hmm. yeah. 
beyond the She-Hulk scene, which genuinely is as upsetting and, and, and gratuitous as you point out. Um, after Psycho Man was captured at the end of last issue, turns out he's escaped, and Reed goes to look for him and sends Johnny off. Reed is beset by doubt, and it turns out it's a Psycho Man. He's got his machine that's like, fear, doubt, hate, and he's like, I'm pressing doubt. How are you feeling? I'm pressing doubt. <laughs> then, all of a sudden, it's Snatcheroo's hands. Oh my god, the invisible girl has it. But she is out for vengeance, remember? Are we going to see the vengeance? No, we're not. But we are going to hear a scream. And then as Johnny, who has discovered She-Hulk and Perla, uh, goes to investigate, they're stopped by Sue, who just says the second man is no longer a threat to it. No longer any threat to us. He won't bother anyone ever again with a nice black background behind her. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I think, fairly clear suggestion being that she did something unspeakable to him. Graham, I know I have no imagination because, of course, if I did, why would I be reading superhero comics for the majority of my life? But what happened? What could she have done? Like, he's like, you're going to kill me? She's like, I'm not going to kill you. But what does she do? Am I... She, I she, no, she, like, basically completely fucked up his brain why that means no one can see him i don't quite understand yeah yeah so she fucks up his brain what he takes she takes his little counsel and uses it against him is that even how it works i guess that's i I don't know but i'm guessing that i'm guessing that's what happened because nothing else really makes sense because she's specifically looking for vengeance Right. Which would suggest she is looking to do the same thing to him as he did to her. Well, and she says, I'm going to pay you back in kind. So she's very much, she very much says, you defiled me, Psycho Man, and now you're going to be punished. So I'm still like, I, I. You know what it is? The Psycho Man is wearing the malice outfit. Oh. Oh, that's a perfect... Thank you, Graham. That makes sense. Because nobody would want to see that, admittedly. And that would be why she's like, no, don't look. But yeah, he's... Oh, okay, Graham. You've solved that. Anyway, it's really weird that she does that. He won't bother anyone ever again. And then the next page is like... Celebrations. Literally, the line of dialogue from Reed is, I don't believe I've ever heard such a joyous sound. Yeah, yeah. That's the next line of dialogue after... It's, it's Sue basically being like, I didn't kill him, but I did rape his mind. Yeah, basically, I guess. Or maybe Reed really raped him? I don't know. Mm. I, I, <laughs> that would be hilarious if she's <laughs> like, I'm not going to kill you, but Reed did. Right, exactly. It's like, I I controlled Reed's brain and made <laughs> him kill you. Oh, man, that would be amazing. <laughs> Oh boy! While Reed's wearing the Malice outfit, I'm telling you, there's there's some there's some prize-winning fanfic going on here. Uh, yeah, John Byrne, kind of like again, ambitious, arrogant, and out of control. It makes for um, it makes for some really distressing reading. But but I but at least for someone like me, where I'm like, I guess I feel like. Well, at least the first few issues. Oh, and I guess this is also my point, Graham, is the, I, when you said like it was all one story, I wrung my hands a little bit because 
the Doctor Doom two-parter that we open this arc of issues with is kind of also about someone who gets mind invaded and has his personality changed, right? Like Kristoff is made into Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom basically mind invades him. And then we get all this other mind invasiveness stuff. So even though you don't really focus on Kristoff at all, he's not mentioned here, but all linked up together, there's kind of burn is very much like, you know, mind rape is wrong, you know, but it's also it, but it's a perfectly valid story point as long as it's between, um, you know, a Latvian ruler and uh, a boy, but not if it's about with a subatomic scientist and a woman. Oh, man. <laughs> I think you just realized how absolutely ridiculous this is. <laughs> sorry it's true i said that and i'm just like oh yeah that's a theory that all of us can take and apply to the real world <laughs> <laughs> oh lord oh lord graham what have you gotten us into i wonder sometimes <laughs> these are terrible issues they really are burden i think at the height of his i'm telling an important storyness oh god and his ambition and his ego are not matched by his talents mm-hmm. to be polite. Yeah. Um, there is some really um, just shitty, problematic, troublesome stuff here, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and again, and it's the, interesting. The, like, the, the racism is, 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 is like really does leave a bad taste in my mouth. Burns understanding of the emotional journey of Sue Mm-hmm. I think is is kind of uh, glib and and self satisfied and and doesn't go nearly as deep as as he thinks it does and also f- makes the shifts to Invisible Woman feel overblown and cheap at the same time. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Again, you it's know that that feeling that overblown and cheap really was kind of the. The tenor of the times, and yet John Byrne is definitely um, one of the foremost purveyors of that. You know, it's yeah, it, it is. It's it is like you said. I think prob- problematic is is a is a great way to put it. I don't know. It's uh, it it is fascinating because um, part of me is like, would these stories be better if we just if he had more time, you know what I mean? Is it if they didn't feel uh, just no. so rushed I, I, off I, I or dashed? Yeah. These stories would be better without Secret Wars, first of all. So you would actually have a complete story. Yes. You wouldn't have a story that literally just like, literally disappears midway through and then comes back. Yeah. Um, these stories would be better if Burn had more actual empathy. Yes. With right. the characters. These stories would be better if Byrne was not feeling as if he was making an important point. I, I genuinely think the ambition and ego of Byrne gets the better of him in this run. Oh, I think so but, too. I, I, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. I still kind of like this run. Sure. I kind of get you it. You know, like, but, but more so than the last few times we've done Baxter Building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, because I think these are arguably worse comics. 
And well, I don't know if it is just the nostalgia, or if the there is at least a, a, a sense of occasion because this is a storyline that goes on for like six issues. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I don't even, know, even yeah. though it does duck out for Secret Wars, like there still feels like some there's something more here. Yeah, I I feel especially compared to the the previous issues that we had, which you know in the last batch were. A real grab bag. Yeah, Burn. I have to appreciate ambition. It undoes him. Again, there's that thing of like, I'm like, oh yeah, Burn is Burn and Doctor Doom are really fascinating comparison points to me at this point. You know, I'm like, yeah, they're kind of like, they really are each other at this point. But I, I, I appreciate the ambition. And again, there's, um, like, I don't know, Burn's, Burns' pedanticism is at least mired in, I don't know, a desire to, to, to prove something. I mean, you know, to prove that he's, to show off to everyone that he's right, I guess. But at least he, at least he sort of tries. I mean, I think the thing that's hard is the extent to which the distance between his accomplishments and his ambition is vast and he kind of can't see it and there's other stuff that is just way too slapdash but whether again whether that's the problem of burn trying to create at the time that he's trying to create i mean the fact of the matter is i would i don't want to see john burns god love man kills you know what i mean i didn't really i wasn't a big necessary fan of god loves man kills when it came out from Chris Claremont and Brent Anderson when it did, you know, but this, but I can see where Burns like, Oh yeah, no, I'm going to do my take on, you know, racial hatred. And I'm even going to tie it into Sue Storm's rebirth as, as a character and just, and yet it all just comes off as again, as I keep saying, it's just slapdash and icky. So it's, but at the same time, Graham, I know what you mean. And thanks to Jerry Ordway, it looks great. I felt really sad when 284 was like, and welcome back, Al Gordon. And I'm like, mm, sorry, Al. I mean, you've you've got your yeah, ribs. But... Yeah, Al, do you have to be? And sure enough, like that that's him. He Jerry's gone. Yeah, which is which is I didn't know that, but that is a shame because the stuff that you see here is just just really not as lovely as 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 what I was grooving on before. So, I don't know, man. Maybe 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 part of it's that. Ah, uh, well. We have Burns' last issues ahead of us. Really? Are you ready? Yeah. For for next for next time. Uh huh. If we do two eighty five through two ninety five. Right. That that's eleven issues, but it includes the last burn issues, which are you called the last episode a grab bag. That it's it, things get nuts in Burns' yeah. last issues. We have two Secret Wars, uh, two crossovers. Oh, Jesus. We have an X Factor crossover. Oh, we have the return of Doctor Doom, and we have the return of a Fantastic Four tradition, namely a creator leaving in the middle of a storyline. Right, right. Uh, being replaced by an art, Jerry Ordway. Wow. Huh. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, I, I have to say it, it'll be interesting to do the, um, to, to see the end of Burns run. Cause I think this is kind of the point where 
I almost feel like a Burns getting his his sort of his second wind here. He seems much more emotionally involved and invested in a admittedly in a slightly arrogant dismissive way, <laughs> but than he was previously. I don't. I would be. But I also kind of also have that feeling of part of me is like, I sort of do hope that John Byrne leaves soon because I don't know. It's kind of this weird point where I'm like, is it just that he's trying to take FF to into places where I don't feel they should necessarily go? Or is it just I really am not a big fan of most of comics when they go down some of these areas that John Byrne's going? I mean, yeah, it's it's. He's taking uh, – well, it's worth pointing out. Burn does not leave by choice. Right. No, no. Burn, Burn, fact, is, Burn is fired yeah. from the series. Right, which is amazing. Do you know – I guess – well, let's – we should talk about it next time because I don't know anything about it. I did see while oh, flipping I, through I, the letters. I, I, can tell you, I can tell you super quickly why. Uh, okay. He was, fired, he was fired because he agreed to do Superman for DC. Oh, okay. Is that all? Oh, all right. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Burn thought, thought that he would be able to do Fantastic Four and Superman and that both companies would be okay with it and Marvel was not okay with it holy shit I can't believe that he thought he really thought that that's amazing yeah. wow yeah. well because I'm that, sure that, he was like right. what are they going to do fire me <laughs> yeah and then Marvel was like yep that's exactly what we're going to do wow holy and, and bear in mind 296 is the 25th anniversary issue of Fantastic Four which is also the much-hyped centerpiece of Marvel's 25th anniversary celebrations. And they fire him three issues before that. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's some serious retribution. They use his plot plot for the comic without crediting him. Sure. Because Byrne talked in Marvel Age about his plot, and then the plot of the finished issue, which is officially plotted by Jim, Jim Shooter, is Byrne's plot. Ooh. Man, it's like Avengers 150 all over you will again. Under, you'll understand why Byrne then, when he came back to Marvel on Starbrand, used it as a book on which he could shit on Jim Shooter for a long time. Ooh. Because wow. Jim Shooter really did him dirty. Yeah, that is that is bad news. Yeah. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. But we'll get to that next time, everyone. Um, it's it's true. I think Burn is actually weirdly getting a second wind, mm-hmm. but it's he's he's. That said, we say that. See how you feel in the next episode because the the run of like tie-ins and fill-in type stories is super strange. Well, but it's we also like, what is actually happening with this book? Yeah, I mean, again, I feel, and I I could be wrong, but I always assumed. Like, X-Factor seemed like something that Byrne was really down with and kind of into and or wanted his hands in. But I also didn't know how much of that, I don't know. Again, we're hitting, this is, this is the heyday of Secret Wars 2 is, um, is Jim Shooter running amok in the Marvel Universe. And people are not especially happy about it. But it is also that thing of like, I don't feel, I don't know to what extent people have control over it. You know, they they clearly in some cases, the the Marvel universe that they're trying to make the interrelated universe is something that uh, Byrne working with Roger Stern, working with Mark Grunewald, you know, and Walt Simonson and Louise 
Simonson, that is something that they're all kind of into in practice, uh, in theory, but, and in practice, they like it until it starts being forced on them. And this is where it really gets, where, where the Marvel Universe kind of gets a little too claustrophobic for my liking, and it sort of seems like for other people, so... So yeah, mm -hmm. I'm sure well, it'll the, be a weird couple of issues. It is. It is not. I guess it sort of coincides with the next uh, Baxter building batch of episodes. But bear in mind that around this time, Engelhart has started West Coast Avengers, mm -hmm. and the thing is going to be the sixth member of the book. Oh right. Right up until the issue where he's going to be announced as the sixth member of the book, and then the Fantastic Four office grabs him back. Yeah. Right. And so you have an issue where. Engelhart basically makes that the story of the comic. Yeah. That everyone's like, where's the thing? He was going to be the member of the group. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It, right. it's, it get, it, it's, it's a weird time at Marvel. Yeah. And next episode of Baxter Building is really going to underscore that. The, the, the interconnectedness of this book to the Marvel Universe starts to just take over the book. Mm -hmm. um, in, in a way that actually it then fades significantly hmm. and that that really doesn't happen again wow. uh, in large part because i think burn made fantastic four a really popular book and yes. then after burn went it never was a really popular book again right uh and so the idea of like oh and then we'll launch this at fantastic four didn't seem as important because it wasn't getting the sales anymore yeah right so we'll see anyway that is next time on baxter building which is a month away uh, in the meantime, next week is a regular way bot. Yes. Uh, and because we're heading towards the end of the episode, this is where I will tell you that on Monday, probably around lunchtime, there will be show notes for this episode up on waitwatpodcasts.com. There will inevitably be some sort of picture accompaniment as well on waitwatpods.tumblr.com. And you can follow us on Twitter where some we might say something about the Fantastic Four. Who even fucking knows? Anyway, we're at Wait What Podcasts on Twitter. Jeff is on Twitter solo at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D, and I'm on Twitter solo as at Graham M at G R A E M E M. We are a Patreon supported podcast, and Baxter Building exists purely because of the kindness of our Patreon supporters, and because I said Patreon, Mr. Jeffrey Lester is going to step in. Yes, Jeffrey. I am. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. So uh, normally this would be the uh, stage where I would thank all the wonderful people uh, on Patreon who, thanks to their support and throwing us a, a, the occasional spot of cash, help keep us um, motivated and uh, uh, focused with like a laser-like intensity. Um, but... Uh, like I said, I've just been so uh, enthused about John Byrne's attempt to pick apart uh, the inner psyche of Sue Richards. I'd like to spend another 10 minutes picking apart John Byrne's psyche in picking apart Sue Richards' psyche. Uh, and then hopefully... No, uh, no, no. No? Jeff, keep, go keep going. Just, oh. just you know, you, it, it, um, like Audrey, Empress Audrey... Uh, and the, the kind of folks that are American Ninth Art Studios. Come on, you know this. We do this all the time. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, all right, okay, okay. I was hoping that Graham would then turn around and pick apart my psyche as I'm picking apart John Byrne's psyche. Picking apart no, no, no. Jeff, no. 
And we'd especially like Jeff, to thank no. the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios <laughs> and Empress Quadri, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we are especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast and for not crashing our uh, tiny galaxy within the, her mighty cosmic paw, nor taking the time to sit down and pick apart Graham's psyche as he picks apart my psyche, as I pick apart John Byrne's psyche, as he picks apart the Invisible Woman psyche. Do you think Empress Audrey has like a giant robot Empress Audrey body to make everyone more fearful of her? Oh, but absolutely. she's just like regular Empress Audrey's eyes? Yeah, I, I think I would say I would say odds are better than even. Um, it's tough because we haven't heard her talk about how um, the the uh, the neural field over the microverse entrance works, which. We well, go you back have. and complain about that next issue. Well, yeah, that's true. I forget. You guys have tea all the time. Anyway, Graham? She's got this giant robot body. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so back to building. We are going to be doing uh, issues 285 through 295. That's in a month. There's a wait what next week. And because it's back to building, Jeff is about to sing us out. I am. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building. <laughs>